Hey, Samsonites, it's the Silver King here. We have an expanded special episode of In This Corner for you today ahead of WrestleMania 34 weekend. But I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that the audio quality in this episode is not up to our usual standards due to a variety of unavoidable factors. Nevertheless, this is an edition of ITC you do not want to miss. Enjoy the show. with the Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now, you know who I am. It's me. It's me. It's well-dressed Nick Costos. Now, I wish that rhymes with DDP, but unfortunately, it does not. But I am back in this corner, in your corner, here to talk some professional wrestling. And you might be asking yourself, hey, well-dressed Nick, what have you been up to recently? The answer is anchoring about 12 hours a day on the brand new CBS Sports HQ, which I urge you to check out on your app on your tablet, on your desktop, on your mobile device, Roku, Fire Stick, Apple TV, wherever the hell else you can stream things. CBS Sports HQ, download the CBS Sports app. Yours truly, well-dressed Nick Costos, breaking down the world of sports from about 5 p.m. on the East Coast to about 1 a.m. on the East Coast. And be sure to follow me on Instagram, at the Costos, T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S. Because despite the fact that I make a lot of money, and despite the fact that I wear exorbitantly expensive clothes, at the end of the day, I am still a petty, pathetic, insecure little man. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, he has just completed the long drive to New Orleans. What we are going to do is get him all set by the fall to get on a plane and fly across the country. Because he has a crippling fear of flying, like many others do, including my late great father, never got on an airplane. So what we are going to do with the Silver King is drug him up like a cocktail like Dr. Zahorian would have loved in the late 80s and early 90s in the WWF. And we're going to send his ass to New York on JetBlue with a TV in front of him and a vodka drink in hand. Damn it, he is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, I am joined. By the man whose name is on the market. Come on. He's the icon. Let's go. He is the showstopper. Bring it. He is the main event. My man. He's the bod that runs the pod. One time. He's the mast that guides the cast. Stay hyped. You know his name, damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell them what's on the podcast. Fine, listeners. The band is back together, as you can already hear. So please do yourselves a favor and get some of this. Not only has the excitement levels gone up with the return of Nasty Nick, but certainly so have those testosterone levels. You have more raw testosterone flowing through your body than an all-male prison. So get those Mark Milk bottles ready to be filled with another dose of that performance-enhancing audio. This is about as loaded as loaded gets for a WrestleMania preview super show. And if our interviews from last week with Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Triple H, and more Ronaldo weren't enough to wet your whistle, we've got the sauce, as they say, this time around. And like 2015 Ryback, we are here to feed you more. And let me be frank. 
I got that hot sauce. There you go. Along with the return of well-dressed Nick, the prodigal Greek, we have an interview with Paul Heyman that promises to entertain as we get set to preview just about everything in depth from this weekend. WrestleMania 34, NXT TakeOver New Orleans, Cody versus Kenny, so much more. Why? Because we love it. Because you guys have been so great staying loyal, contributing to the show with your DMs and spreading that word on social media. Doing that solid of that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Look, guys, we love you for it. We are just over a week away from the one-year anniversary of this podcast birth. So thank you for coming along for this ultimate thrill ride. But without any further ado, because this guy has become so famous on CBS Sports HQ, we only get his services for about 30 minutes or less. Well-dressed Nick Costos, you're back. Buddy, I want to start right off with a question for you. Many of our loyalist listeners have tweeted us, sent DMs, sort of comparing your recent rise and exit to this podcast to some wrestlers before you, you know, some like The Rock from last decade or John Cena from today where you move on to bigger things, but you still drop back in once in a while to pay your respects. But others, Nick, see you more like a 2014 Seth Rollins taking a chair to your best friends in order to break up the shield and join the authority and make a run at it. So once and for all, let's settle the score. I really want to know right now, who are you? Why don't you just spit it out? Why don't you just... Talk straight to me and quit beating around the bush. What are you trying to say? <laughs> oh, I'm Seth Rollins, for sure. Hit you guys with the steel chair. I'm the architect. Break up the shield, um, and I joined the authority. There's no question about it. Heel turn by yours truly. But um, but then in the same breath, you could say I could do like that great um rock promo um, from Staples Center when he came back before WrestleMania 27 and give you the finally uh, handsome Nick, well-dressed Nick, a little rusty on the promo. It's been a while with you guys. Has come back. Oh, great to or, be back with you guys. Or are you Brock Lesnar and you're just KP's boy? Oh, well, that's definitely true. There's no doubt that I'm Port's boy. Yes, Port, our boss. That is 100% facted. And I might be Brock Lesnar at this point. Come back for the big shows only and leave you guys to work the house show circuit and the meaningless Raws and Smackdowns. There is no question about that. Yes, I am boys with the uh, with the people upstairs. There's no doubt. Well, we got the band back together for an occasion so large, Nick. It is WrestleMania 34, the road to get here to New Orleans. You will not be joining us this year in New Orleans. We already know Adam is there in his hotel room ready for action. But, Nick, talk to us about the build because the one thing the listeners haven't been able to get from you outside of a few tweets is where's passionate, well-dressed Nick right now on this build to WM34? Um, I think the build has been terrible. Like, it's been awful. Um, terrible. Almost whoa, whoa, across the board. On. Awful, though? Like, I could say vanilla. Okay. okay. Awful? You gonna All right. So, so, okay. So let's, so let's, let's break it down like this. How many matches, big matches, would you say have been built well? Let me throw that back at you guys. How many big matches on this card would you say have been built well? Because uh, so I, I can think of one match that's been built well, and only one. I agree with the overall sentiment that it's been a vanilla build. Where I, you know, I had this conversation with Adam on this show last week, where I'm not fired up storyline wise about enough of these. But it's hard to call it terrible, hard to call it awful when you look at. What's in play? The, the the amount of pawns on the chessboard that they have to work with. I mean, this is a card to get excited about. I'd like to be a little bit more juice, but terrible is an interesting word there, Nick. Well, I think there's a difference between a card being good and a build being good. And what Nick's talking about is the story. This is what I've been complaining about on the podcast. The storylines leading us into WrestleMania. The card is stacked. Nick, I think you agree with that, right? Well, well I mean, that wasn't the question. The question was right. not, is the card going to be good? The question was, has the build been good? No, the build's been atrocious. The build has been good for only one match, and it's the mixed tag team match. And I wonder why the build's been good for that match. Probably because it involves Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and, and Ronda Rousey, and a lot's obviously 
is riding on Ronda Rousey as WWE has that obviously in negotiations with Fox and Rousey would be a big name potentially if Raw were to go on to, to that network. So of course that, 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 that match is getting a ton of build. And I think the build for that match has been sensational. And I'll say the, um, the triple H Stephanie training video from a couple weeks ago oh, on yeah. Raw was laugh out loud, hilarious. And Stephanie has really upped her game to the degree that she's better than Triple H on the mic. And I'm not even sure it's particularly close. She is her dad. Like, she's so much more Vince than Shane is. It's not even funny. And maybe Shane will turn heel after Mania and we'll get to see heel Shane McMahon again. But Stephanie is on another level right now as a performer. So I'm really excited for that match. It should be very good. But when you look at the other big matches, I mean, there has been no build for Styles Nakamura. And I understand that Styles has been injured, but they've given us nothing. Like, the match is going to be good. There's no doubt about it. And I think WrestleMania 34 is going to be good. I think it's going to be better than last year. I didn't think last year was that good. I know you disagree, Brian. But the build has been awful. There's been no storylines, especially in the upper card. And we'll get to Reigns and Lesnar, but I mean, the build for that match has been embarrassing and disgraceful and really just flat out dumb. Yeah, I mean, if you look up and down, the only ones outside of the Rousey build, I like the Bliss Nia Jax build for some of the storyline juicy elements there. I will say, yes, overall, not strong. But I want to go back to what you said. Let's start at that Rousey feud, which has been, you know, that's their poster, if you will. That's the match they've cared about the most, certainly. I, I can't argue with you that Stephanie's the better. I mean, she might be the best heel in the company when they plug her in the right way. There's no question on the mic. Do you think, though, that this match is being built? Okay, we know it's being built to get Rousey over as America's sweetheart, all those things you mentioned about TV ratings. But is this match, at the same time, being built to prepare Stephanie for an on-air Vince McMahon-like role like he did opposite Steve Austin in the 90s against Rousey moving forward? Is this where we're going, you think? I, I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Um, but, I mean, I think she's ready. I mean, I don't think that she needs to get ready for that role. You know what I mean? Like, she's there already. So I don't think, like, like that's the case. I mean, maybe that's what happens and we do a long-term Stephanie Rousey thing. I, honestly, I think that Ronda Rousey will ultimately be more effective as a heel. I, that's, I mean, just, just beating the crap out of everybody. I think that's where it should go with Rousey eventually. But for now, I, I'm going to say it. I think the match is going to be great. And I think there's almost no way that the match is not great on Sunday, this mixed tag. Because Triple H and Angle will do the heavy lifting. Rousey's going to hit all her big spots. They probably spent two or three months now practicing the match and going over it in painstaking detail. So I see almost no way that the match itself is bad. It's going to deliver. It's going to turn Rousey into an even bigger star. So again, I, I, I like the build for this match, and I think it's going to be a major success come Sunday. Are we looking past too quickly? And you mentioned Rousey being better as a heel. I talked to her for a story that's going to run this week on CBSSports.com. She almost basically said, you know, like Piper, she kind of wishes she was a heel, and she's looking forward to the day she turns. Sorry, she, she turns on Sunday? I mean, are we, you don't want to press fast forward too early, but are we— I, I got I to tell you, if she turned on angle— and join the authority, that would be freaking awesome. I mean, that's that's, that's juice. That, that would be great. That's juice. That's something you can put on Fox every week. Now, you know, not that not that the TV deal is up right away, but I'm saying, you know, that's something you can do. Shayna Baszler as her muscle, something we've talked about in the past. Uh, somebody DM'd one of our great listeners and sort of threw that out there. I'd love to get his name and give him credit when I have the chance. But, I mean, that's something I didn't think of moving forward. You know that day will come eventually. But that's part of the big hype of this feud Ronda out there I think she's going to overachieve in the ring and show you that she's a better product than the people that are predestined to hate her are saying let's talk about that build though with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns the one that you've always hit that that, that drum saying look this is one year in advance everything they're doing is to get us to that point Adam and I have loved the first two weeks 
Did not love the two weeks that came. Thought it was almost like they were running counter to what they're doing. Nick, it looked like the build all along was going to be Brock's a jerk. Brock hates WWE. Brock's going to the UFC next. Now Adam had a good point on the show. Maybe they signed him behind the scenes because it feels like that's changed. Well, I I think they probably have because I don't think that they'd be so heavy with saying like Brock's going to be in UFC. So it almost feels like they're trying to swerve you, right? And and it's fairly obvious. And and I hope that's the case because I like having Brock around. I don't know if I like Brock being universal champion for a year when he's only on a handful of shows a year. But I mean, it's always, the rent is always raised when Brock Lesnar's there. Um, I think the build to this match has been so bad and, and so thoughtless and so uninspired and so lame and so pathetic. And and quite frankly, it's it's really infuriating. And the thing that bothers me the most, and I tweeted this the other day, these two put forth an epic main event at WrestleMania 31. Now, you might be listening and saying to yourself, epic might be an overstatement. It's really not. I mean, go back and watch that match. And I'm including the Seth Rollins cash-in at the end. It was a fantastic bit of storytelling. Fantastic acting on the part of both Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns throughout that match. I'm serious. If you get the chance, go back and watch that. It's not like 15 minutes long, the Reigns-Lesnar main event from WrestleMania 31. And it's as if it never happened. Like, they haven't mentioned it once that these two main events at WrestleMania, not 15 years ago, literally three years ago, these two main events at WrestleMania. And it can't even get a mention. It didn't happen in Japan. It didn't happen in Ring of Honor or TNA or Progress. It happened in WWE. It was the main event of WrestleMania. It can't even get so mentioned here. Does that tell what the you hell this? is he doing? Does that tell you that? Now, if we believe that Seth Rollins only won that match because Vince turned on the idea of giving Reigns the keys to the car then because of how they screwed up the booking at 2015 Royal Rumble, right, with Daniel Bryan going out early, and the those boos are still following Roman. So is this Vince kind of saying, look, three years later, we're going to repair what was broken then. So let's act like then never happened And our plan all along was to finally anoint Roman right now. Well, that's absolutely what it is. The problem, as we discussed last week on the podcast, is that they built a 12-month storyline for this match using the F5 and no one kicking out of it and no one kicking out of Reigns' spear and going head-to-head being the only two guys to defeat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And yes, on Monday night, they fit all of that in. Finally, What did they do the prior eight weeks? They didn't mention any of it. Like Nick said, they didn't mention WrestleMania 31 once. What are they trying to do? Like, do are we? Do they not? How, how, how about us? a montage, Adam? To your point, how about a montage of Lesnar exactly. beating everyone with the F5, including Roman Reigns in the main event of SummerSlam, right? Or beating Braun Strowman? And maybe they don't want to show it because they don't want to show the fact that Strowman lost. But I mean, these things all happened, and like we're being asked to forget about them. Like it's so stupid. And and well, the build to the match, and here's what's really insulting about it: the entire build to the match since Reigns won the Elimination Chamber has been about one thing and one thing only. Getting Roman Reigns over as a face so that when Reigns wins in the main event of WrestleMania, he gets a face pop. I got news for you. It's not going to happen. It's going to be the same exact thing that would have happened in WrestleMania 31. Because Reigns is going to kick out of the F5, he's going to spear Lesnar, and he's going to win the Universal Championship, and he's going to get booed out of the building in New Orleans. So nothing is going to change, and, and everything that they've done will have been for naught. And it's good, but... I think the match has a chance to be really good, so maybe it'll make up for it. But, I mean, the build has been, frankly, inexcusable for this match. So dumb. Like, it's like they, it's like they say, we, we are less interested in putting on a good story and more interested in forcing this guy down your throat. And I like Roman Reigns a lot, but it ain't working to the level that they want it to work. It's not going to work at the level they want to work. Now, 
If Reigns goes out there and wins the main event on Sunday and the crowd goes nuts like it did for Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans, I'll be the first one to say I was wrong. Great job, WWE. But I would bet a lot of money that's not going to be the case. See, see, I think he would have gotten booed out of the building at 31. I think they've repaired him 50% of the way this year, where if he does end up winning, it'll be a mixture. It'll be a John Cena-esque two years ago mixture. But I don't think he's going to get booed out of the building if he wins. Now, here's the thing. It has been in uh, vanilla way to book this. I thought it started hot. It's sort of gone in, in a negative direction, just sort of average across the board. We think that's just them going, we got two superstars. There's really no need to add flavor to this steak. Let's just put the steak out there. Let them have a physical match with a couple hard way blood spots, and we'll be fine. So I think 99.9.5%, we all think Reigns is going over clean, and that's been the plan all along. Is there any chance the vanilla booking is a smokescreen that we are finally going to get the kind of post-mania reveal involving Reigns that we want. And I'm not saying necessarily a heel turn, but the idea that maybe Paul Heyman joins forces with him without them having to go the dark heel level or some type of... What are you talking about? He turns heel if Heyman goes with him. Yeah, but you you know, they don't... But look, he already turned heel when he got in an ambulance and tried to kill Braun Strowman, right? So, like, Reigns is doing heel things every three weeks. But, like, in WWE canon, that never happened. Like, that never happened. My whole point is, is he already beat up U.S. Marshals three weeks ago. That's a heel move right there, right? But my whole point is they're not going to turn him dark heel. But is this the time for them to catch us off guard because of how vanilla the build has been? I'm trying to be optimistic here. No, but I mean, like, you can be optimistic all you want. Like, we could say, oh, you know what they'll do? Maybe they'll have another Money in the Bank match unscheduled. Rollins will win, will win and cash in at the end again. In, in left. Like, maybe that'll happen. Or maybe it won't. Or maybe it'll be... Reigns kicks out of the F5 and goes over with the spear like we've been saying is going to happen for a full year on this podcast. That is what is going to happen. Like, get used to it, folks. Like, everything that WWE has shown you, not just in the last six to eight weeks, but everything they've shown you for the last 365 days has been building to this point. And the build has been bad. The build has been lazy. And the build has been about one thing and one thing only. Not about your entertainment or my entertainment but about getting Roman Reigns a face reaction when he wins since they blew it three years ago, and now they're trying to do right by their original decision. And I don't think, and here, and Silver King, you're right. I don't think he's going to get booed out of the building, but he is never going to get that reaction that guys like Cena got, that a guy like Daniel Bryan gets, or some of these other beloved faces gets. It is never, ever, ever going to happen. Never. Well, the the reason for that is because those other people you mentioned were naturally loved by the crowd. It wasn't forced onto them. Did the storylines help? Absolutely. But that is how they became faces. The other thing is everyone you mentioned turned heel and then turned face. And WWE, and they've learned this quote unquote lesson from John Cena, is they don't think anymore. They need to go through the process of having a face turn heel and turn back face to get over. Well, guess what? How's Seth Rollins doing for you right now, right? He's massively over. Seth Rollins has it. And the reason Seth Rollins has it is because he was heel for a long period of time, got injured. Fans wanted him back. They wanted to root for him. He came back, cut the face promo, and everything was good. They refused to do it with Roman Reigns. The way to get Roman Reigns well, over they think is, is to turn him star. here. All right, all right. We've been, think, look, look, we've been, they view Reigns as a bigger star. I got to take the oars out of your hands so we can get down this river because we've been down this road a long time about Reigns being face and they're not getting him where they want. Nick, if he goes on last, though, and I'm going to ask you in a second which match you yes. think should go on last, but Thank if it's pleasure. Roman Reigns, Nick, that's four years in a row. The only one to do that is Hulk Hogan five years in a row. This would pass Reigns, allow him to surpass Cena, Steve Austin, and a separate run of Hogan doing three in a row. So 
from WWE standpoint, Nick, it doesn't matter if he's heel or face. He's getting noise. Nick, four in a row, do we have to start to say this is Roman's era, reluctantly or, or not, depending on where you stand no. on it? No, it's not, because he's not the defining performer of the era. I mean, the 31 match against Lesnar was very good. The 32 match against Triple H was trash. We were in attendance for the 33 wasn't match trash. against Well, Undertaker. hold on, hold on. Wasn't trash. Crowd okay. trashed it. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It, it was decent. How many stars? It was above average. It was a bad spot. How because... many stars? How many stars range Triple H? 32 uh, 3.75. How about that? How many? 3.75. Oh, man. That is rich. That is, that's the worst thing you've ever said on this. It's but not. Go back and watch it. It came after an eight-hour show. It, came, it was a predictable it was, ending after an eight-hour show. It was terrible. It was bad. It wasn't good. I'm sorry. It wasn't good. And then Reigns' Undertaker was atrocious that was last year. Reigns is not the defining performer of this. Not the road, the Reigns era. What okay, but four in a row way? says something. Four in a row says yeah, something. No. So who is the defining yeah, performer you know of this says, era? You know what it says? It's just they don't know what the hell they're doing. Is what All right, says. so two questions. One, which one should go on last? And two, who is the defining performer of this decade then? Daniel uh, Bryan. Le- Lesnar. No. Daniel Bryan. I think you can make a case that it's either Lesnar or Bryan for entirely different reasons. I'll say Lesnar because he's been the dominant face on the do- when I say face, I don't mean good guy. I mean he's basically been the face and the main guy book now for a while here. Or you can say Bryan. I even think that's an acceptable answer for entirely different reasons here. But um Reigns Lesnar has to go on last. Like if they don't like they're cutting off their nose despite their face. Like you've built this as the main storyline for a year now, and then you're gonna pull the plug and put something else on last. And no, like it has to be the main event. Like it has thing, to be. The only thing I'll say is I totally a thousand percent agree with you, Nick. I've been saying that, but on Monday night, it felt like the Rousey match was gonna be the main event. Like the way they presented that to open the show before the national championship to make sure every single person's eyes were on it. And granted, Reigns-Lesnar was after the title game was over. But still, it just felt that way to me. And I think it would be the biggest mistake they could possibly make. But that's that's just how it came across. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But again, like whether you agree with the decision or not to put that match on last, Reigns-Lesnar, whether I agree with it or not is immaterial. The fact of the matter is, is that it has to go on last. It has Agreed. to. Or else, or else, what have they been doing for the last year? Like, it's a bad business decision to put something else on last. They can't. They actually cannot do it. I think it would be a monumental mistake. Not because I want to see Reigns Lesnar go on last. I mean, I, there are other matches I'm more excited. Styles Nakamura is going to be better, but they have to. They have to put. I Reigns couldn't Lesnar disagree on with last. that anymore, Nick. You know what a lot of people hate right now? They hate John Cena and what he's doing. You don't like what I'm saying? Well, you can suck my. Wow, wow, John Cena. Uh, Nick, your thoughts on, on this, this Cena-Calloway thing? What the hell? What the, what the? I mean, oh, my. I mean, Nick, can I just? Oh. Look at all of this crap in this ring. Nick, what, what, what the hell's going on here? I'm going to throw you guys a curveball here because I bet you were thinking I was going to come out and destroy it and be really upset about it. I, I, I don't dislike it. And the reason why is because I'm going into WrestleMania with an open mind now. If nothing happens at WrestleMania then I will be pissed. And everyone listening to this and every fan of WWE should be pissed if nothing happens at WrestleMania because what they will have done is wasted our time. And that is not good from a business standpoint, right? That is a bait and switch. You don't want to do that with loyal paying customers. I don't think that's going to happen, though. 
Something is going to happen at WrestleMania. I think it's probably going to be good, whatever it is, because it's Cena and The Undertaker, and all those two have to do is get in the ring with each other and stare at each other, and the crowd's going to be going nuts. So it's not even like they need to do much, right? So I'm going in with an open mind, and I'm hoping, and I'm hoping here, right, that all of this that they've given us here, with Cena coming out and the promos, which have been very good, crowd chanting for Undertaker, no Undertaker, I think right now, and I'm going to call my shot right now, I think that come Monday morning and Sunday night, that we're all going to be saying it was worth it and it worked. And what I personally think is going to happen is the American badass comes out and beat and beat Cena. That's the the only way this is going to work. And then you let him go home. You let him end his career on that moment, right? It fixes the 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 debacle from or, last or, year, or, or or maybe it doesn't, and maybe he comes back next year's WrestleMania as the American Badass. I mean, it, it, what it does is open the door a little bit, right? So if that happens, then I think that we can say, okay, the build was all worth it because you gave us this awesome WrestleMania moment, and the place will come unglued for it. So listen, it all depends on what happens on Sunday. But I am going into the Taker Cena thing with an open mind on Sunday. Hey Nick, uh, since Kane defended his brother's honor a couple weeks ago, so, and so oh my God, does that mean Taker or I'm sorry, American Badass Mark Calloway will do the same after Kane loses this election? Um, I, I, I totally <laughs> forgot that Kane was even running for office. And you know, it's funny. So you know, I work late, so I watch Raw and DVR, and I just fast forward through this crap. And I like you got to, you guys got to watch this, like from start to finish. I mean, Cena and Kane in the main, like, are you on the on the build to WrestleMania? Are you kidding? Uh, just awful. But I do think that it will end up working out on Sunday with those two. All right, Nick, we got all the things you hate about the build to WrestleMania 34, but that's not the only card that matters this weekend. Of course, there's also NXT. There's also that Ring of Honor super card and the build toward Cody Kenny. And I'll say it right now, and I've stood by this and I mean it, whether I'm a revolutionary guy or not. The match I care about more this entire weekend, Nick, most is still Cody versus Kenny. If you said I get to pick one match to watch, I'm still watching that. Nick, your thoughts on where we are on that build? Um, I think it's been sensational. I love it. Um, I love the storyline, and I think Cody Rhodes deserves so much credit. And and if I ever had the chance to interview him, what I would say to him is, you know, when you were in WWE, I never honestly felt like you were a main event star. And now there's no question about it. He drips. He oozes main event. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the bleach blonde hair which absolutely helps for reasons that I can't explain or put into words. It just ratchets up the heel factor a little bit, or the fact that he's now using his real-life wife, Brandy, as a valet. She's awesome. She's beautiful. That adds to the whole mystique and the whole aura of Cody Rhodes. He has evolved into this unbelievable top-shelf heel that I I can't take my eyes off of. I think that he is tremendous. And this slow-building storyline that they've given you here, and you run this in contrast, what New Japan has been able to do with Omega and Ibushi and the Bullet Club and the Young Bucks, to what WWE has done here just with this Reigns-Lesnar and this WrestleMania build, and it's really not even close. I mean, what New Japan is giving you, not just now from a pure wrestling perspective, but from a storyline perspective is better than what WWE has given you. And that's always been the knock on New Japan, right, guys? Is that the storyline's not as good. It's just go out there and wrestle. Well, now the storylines are better in New Japan because the Golden Lovers slash Bullet Club, Kenny, Cody deal is better than anything that the WWE's got going on right now, maybe with the sole exception of the Daniel Bryan comeback and the mixed tag with Rousey and Triple H Angle and Stephanie McMahon. So, I mean, this Kenny-Cody match is going to be great and If it is great, and I think it will be, I think that it makes Cody Rhodes' career. 
And I think that he is a made man moving forward if he puts on a great match with Kenny. Well, Omega he may already be a main man. And, and made man, you said so. He's doing such a great I job. I mean, as next a heel. level. You're right. He is already a made man. I'm talking like next level made man. And like it, Omega level. I mean, it's just so simple what he's doing, Nick. It's so basic. He's just taking basic heel things. It's like instead of worrying about the Flash, you know, Kenny, I love Kenny. Kenny's about the Flash. Cody is about the simplistic basics, just playing those simple notes really, really well. And, and on the Golden Lovers thing, and I don't know how you guys feel about everything that, that they've done here, the fact that there are homoerotic, not even undertones, like it's basically blatant and Omega retweets it, that this is basically a homosexual storyline between Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi and has been for a long time. The fact that that is the case and that they're so open with it and no one cares is an unbelievable testament to how good the two of them are and how well this whole thing has been pulled off. Because if WWE tried something exactly. like that, it's all that you would talk about is like, like gay. They're like, they're almost this. That's all it would be. But with them, it's just like, it's just one layer of the story. And I think that speaks to the brilliance of what they've been able to accomplish. And the match with the Young Bucks was was amazing. You know, Abushi concussion notwithstanding and not knowing what the hell was going on for part of that match. What a great match that was. I mean, it was awesome. Look, I'll, look, you know. Any chance you, you can pound the desk anymore, Nick? Our listeners, I know they're listening right now, saying, hey, any chance you guys can rattle more chains Sorry. in the background? And, and <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's, it's been a long time since I've been on. I'm excited. Uh, I choose New Japan over WWE right now. I mean, come on. I'm all in. Are you all in, Brian? Oh, come on. I mean, are you kidding me? Yes, they're doing it at a... The knocks that we had against it, they're slowly, you know, ratcheting them out. Slowly. They're giving you more story. They're giving you more underjuice in that cup, Nick. I want to dip all my parts in it, though. It's it's really, 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 really good. Are you guys going to be there for the Cody um, Omega match this weekend? We're not. We're we're going to NXT Takeover. It's exact same night, exact same time, which you could say is either genius planning by Ring of Honor or extremely poor planning. I really believe it's poor planning. I think it should be opposite the Hall of Fame ceremony. I, I see. I kind of like the balls on them to do it. I wonder how it's going to turn out. But so okay. So you guys are going right because we have the relationship with WWE, obviously, and you guys got to be at NXT. Um, well, it's going to be a better show. Let's be honest. It's going to be a better card. It's going to be a fantastic card top to bottom. NXT's it's going to be, be a better tremendous. card. And let's yeah. also be clear. We actually don't have a relationship with WWE, but for business reasons, that is what most fans watch. So we need to cover it. Yeah, but NXT should be great. You guys are right. But if I had the choice and I could only watch one, I would want to watch Cody Omega. And by the way, so I, I'm not going to disagree that Cody, Kenny, Bullet Club, Golden Lovers has been built incredibly. And we also shouldn't overlook the Young Bucks role in the entire thing because a lot of it's taken part on being the elite, which has been so good. I just, I know there's a lot of people listening and I don't want to discount how good, and you're right, it's better than anything. Oh, here we go. Here we go. But I don't, but I don't want you to discount how good uh, feuds in NXT are being built right now. The Almas Black feud is incredible and their Gargano Ciampa feud is like next level, year long, you know, personal. He turned on him like, that's as good as it gets for a feud and for a storyline. So Cody Kenny's great. I would put it on par with that. And that's me like giving the best possible compliment I can give. But I'm not going to say it's far and away the best thing going this weekend when NXT alone has two storylines that are really, really close. Oh, fair enough. My, my comparison then is going to is just New Japan and the main WWE roster and what we'll see at WrestleMania. And by the way, like it, I know it's, it sounds like I'm being really negative about WrestleMania. 
I think WrestleMania is going to be awesome. Like, I think the card is going to be great. Like, I think that Taker Cena is going to deliver. I think that Reigns Lesnar in ring is going to deliver. I think the mixed tag match is going to deliver. Styles and Nakamura are going to deliver. The triple threat IC title match is going to deliver. It's going to be an awesome card. I just think the build for it has been abhorrent and atrocious. Like, going into WrestleMania, hopefully we can all agree on this. This card has the ability to make it the best WrestleMania of all time. I, I don't know that it has the star power of like a WrestleMania 17 with like an Austin Rock main event, but with that being oh, said, it's got star if power. all those matches, got... if all those oh, matches mean, good. Wait, 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 no star power. Ronda Rousey, Daniel Bryan, possibly The Undertaker, John Cena, Roman Reigns. If you notice, I didn't say no star power. What I said is, I don't There's know if it has the star power of Austin and Rock in a main event. I don't think it has but, the juice, but, I... but it has the star power. It certainly has the four and a half to five star match potential. It has the okay. Yes, if all the matches are really good, it could go down tied with WrestleMania 17 as the best WrestleMania of all time. And I do think that that potential does exist. So I'm not crapping on on that take. I think it's definitely that. Look, I'm saying it. I think it's going to be a great show. I really do. I just think the build for it has been really bad. Well, Nick, uh, yeah, Adam absolutely. and I are going to be watching though uh, the Golden Lovers, Kenny and, Co- uh, and Coda, and you did sum up perfectly. We talked about it on the on the show a couple weeks ago exactly what you said about how well this storyline and the you know they're it's being handled so perfect in 2018. We're going to get a chance to see them though Thursday at the WrestleCon show. Any chance you want us to FaceTime you in to be able to get a little yes. little, little taste, perfect. a little bite of that, Nick? You know. Now I'm as I'm as straight as they come, but uh, you put me on a FaceTime with Kenny Omega, we might be getting a little Golden Lovers action there because I love me some Kenny Omega, my favorite wrestler. Um. And it's been really awesome. And one final thing for you guys here. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that we, we can hit here um, that I feel really passionate about. Styles Nakamura is going to be great, right? I think we can agree but on that. bad build. build is- bad build. Bad. I mean, not, not a bad build. There's been no, no build. build. No like, build. Zero build. It's as if they said, like, the match doesn't – is it even happening? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they just didn't do the match on Sunday. There's been no build. What the hell are they doing? Um and I do think that the Daniel Bryan stuff is going to be fantastic. Roos going to come unglued for it. That should be the opener, right? Should be that yes. that match with Daniel Bryan. Uh, no Absolutely. question. Now, now I, I, mean, I I think Shane's going to turn heel. I think that's the obvious. You can't turn Daniel Bryan heel. That would be would be really bad. And I guess the uh, the final thing that I've got for you guys. Um, I know it was a while ago. Um, I know you guys have probably talked about it ad nauseum, but I just want to say how much I love the final deletion or the ultimate deletion, whatever the hell they called it. And I really hope that they do more of that with Matt Hardy, more stuff like that, because I'm a little concerned now that like he faces gold dust this on raw. And now he's going to be in the Andre battle Royal. Like I don't want him to get lost in the shuffle again, because that was so good and so innovative and so different that I really hope that they go back and do more of that. And also if I had to bet on it, I would say that a reborn Bray Wyatt will be Braun Strowman's mystery tag team partner against the bar in uh, that tag team title match. I think it's safe to say we're going to see more of that and that it legitimately shocked, no, it doesn't shock us, but shocked Vince McMahon. That was the number one trending topic on Twitter for three hours after Raw went off the air. That just tells you how big of a home run it was. But like, I was actually watching it like laughing. Like not laughing at it, like laughing because it was like, like the, the most brilliant thing to me, in addition to like the music, it was presented like it was like a video, like a cinematic video game final boss fight. Like all of a sudden you go into a new area, like they, they, they go into in, in the compound and a little thing will come up, Lake of Reincarnation. And I'm thinking like, this is so out there and so ridiculous and it's working and it's hilarious because it, it's so freaking good. And, and that's when wrestling, I think, will, will, will really get you is, is, in, is in the moments like that. And, and here and last thing. 
and I know I've said that a couple times, but I got a lot in the tank here. Um, the other day, I rewatched the Reigns-Lesnar match from WrestleMania 31 as a way to get like pumped up for it. And there were a couple spots. Reigns hit Lesnar with a couple spears. Lesnar kicked out. Lesnar hit Reigns with a couple F5s. And Reigns kicked out. And three years after the fact, and I watched that match live, I'm laughing and I'm marking out, even though I know what's going to happen. So even though the build has been brutal for that match, I think there's a chance that they go out there and put on a classic on Sunday. And I do think that WrestleMania 34 will exceed expectations. You just want the build for it to be better and the storyline to be better because it has been pretty lackluster here leading up to it. By the way, could you imagine if they had the foresight to actually have Seth Rollins win money in the bank again and hold on to it and like just play that tease out for another you know, six months and obviously not having cash. Yeah, or the time. foreskin. I mean, that would have been ballsy. I would have loved it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and like, and the fact that like, how do you ignore, I, we've already been over ad nauseum, but yes, it, yes, that would be very, there's a lot of things that they could have done on the build that would be very cool. But I am hoping that the show is so good that we wake up on Monday morning and say, all good WWE because you delivered in a big way. Right, and I'm, I think that, and I think that that will happen. I'm glad you answered the Braun Strowman question and shout out to our listener, Trevor at Trey Doherty, who sent me that same DM off of, by the way, Braun Strowman's Instagram. He, he took a picture of himself sitting next to Bray Wyatt on the plane, which sort of fueled some speculation, whether that's going to be good guest out of you, Nick. Great to have you on the show. You kept saying one more, one more. So I got one more for you. I texted you the other day when I was sick, throwing up, sat on my couch, watched some old WrestleMania matches to try to cheer myself up. Watch the Styles Jericho from 32 that no one talks about, right? Watch the WrestleMania 1 main event. And then I went right to Savage Warrior. 1991, WrestleMania 7, Los Angeles, because I know you love it. And you came back with, that's my favorite match of all time. You got, Nick, yeah. you got 30 more seconds for us to just kind of just leak some juice all over here? It's WrestleMania well, that was the first WrestleMania that I ever really sat down and watched and was fully invested in. I remember watching the main event of WrestleMania 6, Hogan versus Warrior, but 7 was the first card that I had been like watching for a year straight and was like 7 years old and was fully invested in all the stories. And that match is so brilliant in so many different regards. The storytelling is so next level, and I say it, that wrestling becomes Shakespeare when you kind of forget it's fake and you lose yourself in the moment. And you see people legitimately crying in the audience after that match when you have a heel so dastardly in the Macho King Randy Savage, not even the Macho Man at that point, the Macho King, then by the end, he's the most overface in the company, and he had been the most overheel in the company at the start of the match. In my opinion, with all due respect to Warrior Hogan, an epic WrestleMania six main event, that is Ultimate Warrior's best match. It's one of Savage's best matches ever. And as far as a storytelling perspective, from that perspective, it might be the greatest match in the history of professional wrestling. When now, you texted it's not that, the greatest pure wrestling match, but storyline-wise, it might be the greatest match of all time. When you texted me that, I'm like, all right, this is fired up Greek uh, mythology, and this is fine. I'm glad that he really likes this match. I love the, <laughs> I love the famous reactions of the kids crying. I know that's a heartwarming moment. I know Warrior overachieved in the match, blah, blah, blah. Nick, then I rewatched it again. I, I don't think a crowd has cheered with that much it's still real to me, damn it, level emotion since that point. Since, like, had, could anyone that, that has any doubts of what Nick's saying, please go back and watch that match. Nick, the crowd, 
I mean, that was a down period for WWE. I mean, they had they couldn't even fill the LA Coliseum. They had to go to the LA Sports Arena that year. And, and, Yet, and, and they created they created like a bomb scare thing because of because of the Gulf War with Sergeant Slaughter. Like that, actually, guys, you couldn't sell out the Coliseum because the card wasn't that great. Exactly. But that crowd, Nick, is insane. Insane. Like there's no other way to say it. Even before the great Liz reveal, just for that match, like I don't think we have something to compare that to. No, it's maybe the Daniel Bryan stuff that we've seen over the last five or so years. But 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 I, I do tend to agree. Um, last thing, and I promise this is the last one. The bill to Charlotte Asuka has been can I do I say her name right still or do I still no, get you it say, wrong? you always Asuka, say it brutal, Asuka. but we we don't like to correct you because we love that you constantly, you know not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. We it, love when you butcher that. It's it's Asuka. 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 Okay. Um the build to that match has been so bad. I hope that the match itself is great because the build has been so I, I don't even like it's stunning to me that you've got all these great matches and personalities and the build has been, have been well, so freaking atrocious. Here's the biggest problem. Here's the biggest problem. Because of all the extra pay-per-views between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, the two main SmackDown matches, AJ Styles Nakamura and then Charlotte Flair Asuka, Flair Asuka couldn't be booked until Charlotte stupidly defended the title again at a pay-per-view between the two events, and Asuka couldn't then declare for her because there was still going on. And then they had had Nakamura pick Styles in the middle of the ring at Royal Rumble, and then had Styles in like a six-man fatal six-way match, whatever the hell you want, six-pack challenge match, defending the title. So they couldn't start the build. So both matches had like three to four weeks of build when they should have seven, eight, and you really build it out. And that's WWE's biggest problem, especially with SmackDown this year. And uh, shout out to Zack Sabre Jr. and Okada for putting on a tremendous main event at Genesis NJPW last week as well. Nick, great to have you back. Uh, well, do you have any message to the fans on when, if, maybe? I mean, you don't want people to grovel. You don't want people to beg. I mean, people already know. Oh, where they, they can. Where they, they can people already that. know where I, they can find it. you and all that. You can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter and slide into those DMs, ladies. Oh, man. But for your most passionate fans, the ITC fans that love the Nick Costos era and don't want it to ever end, when are they going to hear from you again? I really want to cut a heel promo here and be like Lesnar and being like, I'll be back when the moment's big enough, when the paycheck's big enough. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 you know, the workload for me is lightening up a bit um, now that we're about a month into the CBS Sports HQ era and really appreciate all the kind tweets that I've gotten. In all sincerity, um, I'll drop, drop character and go kayfabe here. Um, thank you guys very much. It is much appreciated. Love talking wrestling with the two of you guys. Um, love having an audience and humbled by the fact that people care enough about what I have to say that they reach out on social media. So thank you very much. Um, I do anticipate being able to come on more often. I don't know that I could ever return to a regular role with everything that I've got to do now, but I do anticipate being able to come on more often. Maybe I'll pop on for a little bit with some WrestleMania recap next week, but, um, it is sincerely appreciated. Thank you all very much and look forward to coming back to the ITC at some point soon. Nick Costos, everybody. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, enjoy Mania, buddy. Enjoy it. And because you guys know I can't go full face, um, it is important for me to note, well-dressed Nick Costos, the outfit that I will be wearing to work today is more expensive than your next six months' rent. Yes, I'm talking to you, dear listener. (laughs) Put that cigarette out. Oh, yeah. All right, BC, now that Nick is off handling his CBS Sports HQ duties, Let's hit some news and notes before we get to this massive WrestleMania weekend preview. You got an opportunity to view the Andre the Giant documentary from HBO. You got a sneak peek of it. What did you think? Yeah, uh, very excited. Of course, this will air Tuesday, April 10th. 
right after SmackDown, 10 p.m. Eastern on HBO. Uh, it was really, really well done. And I think the the initial thing to say, well, how good was it, BC, right? Was it as good as Ric Flair? I think it was a little bit different. I think Ric Flair was a better documentary from start to finish. But the high notes in this Andre the Giant doc, and certainly I'm not going to give away that to you, are so high and so good. And obviously the centerpiece of this film is the build to WrestleMania 3 and Hogan. And Hogan is an absolute star in this film. Whether you're cynical of Terry as a man and think a lot of what comes out of his mouth is, you know, BS or lying or not, he plays a big part in this this film, as does Vince. I think both that and then certainly Andre's death are moments uh, that they really capture well. I laughed. I cried. This was a moving film. Very well done. And I think, Adam, everyone's going to love it. Everyone's going to learn things about that Andre Hogan build that they didn't know that even I didn't know being the biggest WrestleMania three mark possible. And I think what was interesting about the red carpet premiere last Thursday was, did you see the stars that came out in LA Adam? I know we got an invite to that. We were unable to fly to make it, but the, on that sheet for just inside baseball here on the, on the invite from HBO, it tells you who's going to be there. And I don't think everybody ended up making it, but it's like Vince, Steph, triple H, Hulk Hogan, Dana white. And then it says private party after with them and Bill Simmons. Could you imagine just being out of, you know, cocktails? I'm sure maybe, you know, some of our friends in the business were at that party, just elbowing with like Simmons and VKM on one side and Hogan and uh, Dana white on the other. I mean, wouldn't you like to eavesdrop in that little get together? Of course. I mean, I get why they did it in LA. It's LA. It's HBO. It's a documentary, right? But man, I'm here in New Orleans right now at the Ritz Carlton, mind you. They couldn't have done it in New Orleans like tonight <laughs> or tomorrow, where we all could have gone and celebrated during WrestleMania weekend. So, you know, that's just me being, you know, a little selfish, BC. Yeah, but so I don't even know if VKM went, but we saw the pictures. The, the most interesting picture, of course, was Hulk Hogan and Triple H shaking hands on the red carpet, and everybody got excited. But Triple H did say in subsequent interviews that, you know, no deal is done. They're just talking to him. Let's not get too out ahead. Hogan has tweeted a bunch of times that since then saying, you know, it's a process. So I don't know if we're any closer to seeing Hogan this weekend. But look, a lot of good stuff seemed to come out of this doc. And like I said, Hogan plays a big part, but so does Vince. And when that's the one thing the Ric Flair doc maybe didn't utilize enough was Vince. We're going to know about Hulk Hogan's status with WWE on Friday night. If he is at the Hall of Fame, they are mending fences. Well, they did announce that Jimmy Hart is going to induct uh, Hillbilly Jim, so that sort of took that that, you know, out of play. So, yeah, that will be very, very, very interesting. Shout out to Scott Sanchez at Scott Sanchez, who did hit us up with a DM about that documentary saying that, you know, he doesn't think people realize today how big Andre was. And that's one thing the film does a great job of really showing you that it, it goes beyond just being a character. This guy was the business to a lot of people for many years. So good to Andre to get this shine. We certainly saw him at the beginning of the WrestleMania era, but the years where he truly was Andre obviously came much before that. All right, Adam. Also, we saw Tuesday night this week, the final of your tournament yes your tournament down there it's your time your time the mixed max challenge championship oscar and the miz defeated bobby Roode and charlotte flair your thoughts on the final and and, and essentially the tournament as a whole as we've we're now finished with this experiment you say the name of the tournament very weird and, and it's every single time it's almost like nick with oscar mixed match challenge does not come out of your mouth correctly that's mixed all I can March say. Charlie. Yeah, yeah. It's whatever. It's it's, it's, it's like fine. Jerica Omega. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, look, I flub all the time, so trust me, I'm not trying to criticize. Um, I thought this was a success, honestly. Like, I, I don't think it hit all the notes WWE wanted. Uh, the engagement, the viewing numbers, so on and so forth. But we got a number of very good, somewhat campy, interesting matches, and I think you saw it kind of 
reach its peak almost on Tuesday night in the finals where Asuka, for some reason, was defending her undefeated streak in this event, which is absurd on its own, but did so successfully with The Miz against Bobby Roode and Charlotte Flair. I really hope that they don't... I mean, this has almost existed in its own universe outside of a couple quick things on SmackDown Tuesday night here and there. You saw Bobby Roode come out to kind of save Charlotte at one point. Outside of that, it's existed in its own universe. I would really like to see some integration with the teams that they made into the main roster. There's really no reason that Naomi can't work matches with the Usos. There's not a good reason that Braun and Alexa Bliss can't be a pair. By the way, if Alexa Bliss loses the title at WrestleMania, why can she not manage Braun Strowman? Talk about an awesome pairing. So I just think there's a lot of things they can do that they failed to capitalize on so far. But I thought it was a success. What about you? Well, I don't. I thought it was a failure overall. I thought it just didn't mean anything. It was just like ho hum. Okay, this exists outside of the universe, but it only it doesn't when they want it to. I think though, to your comment about mixing them together, that'd be nice. But I don't think you can then suddenly put Naomi and, and Alexa Bliss back in valet roles when they are you know championship winning singles wrestlers. So I think that's why you won't see that sort of collusion together. But I think I'm not saying I want. I just want to clarify. I'm not so much saying valet roles as I am like Alexa Bliss like helping Braun like channel his aggression and win and then still wrestling on her own. Like you can have that. She doesn't have to only be a valet. I'm just saying there was a, there was a chemistry between those two with a lot of sexual tension that they actually showed. It's the first time WWE's done that in an exceedingly long time, not counting Nia and Enzo Amore. Um, and I just found it extremely interesting. And for that to just disappear is unfortunate. Uh, I think the problem like was this week. Look, I watched it. It was all right, but here's the thing. You know Asuka's who she's been beating? Every single person on the Raw women's roster week after week in matches that we think should be pay-per-view matches, but they happen on Raw in five minutes. She hasn't faced Charlotte yet. Oh, no, actually, until this. Like, I don't know why they would steal from the potential reveal of Sunday. And that's what made that match so good. We haven't seen these two together. That's why I stuck on the, stood on that hill and said it's a dream match because I always wondered what it would look like. Oh, if you happen to be on Facebook Tuesday night, you got a cheap tease at what it would look like. And it was just a cheap tease, and it just doesn't. So that no, that's a totally fair criticism. What they really should have done, Becky Lynch subbed in for Charlotte one week ago because Charlotte had the dental surgery. They should have kept Becky Lynch in the team. They lose. Then you have a Charlotte Becky, like if you really did want to continue it in some way, the beginning of a potential feud there. So you're right. You are right about that point. No question about it, BC. Let's. Well, I think they should have. I think they should have made a media match out of it. Look, John and Nikki last year at Mania worked, right? There were there were stars. There were other parts involved of why that worked. It worked. If they wanted this thing to work, then have the championship of this tournament at WrestleMania, right? And it, like, in sort of take people who aren't being used, like Naomi, right? And have in. But I know then you're pulling the Usos out of the title picture. Look, I know it's messy. I'm just saying. I don't think in the end. I think it's just a drop in the toilet. It's not much for me. For sure. Let's let's close this segment, uh, if you want to call it that, mini-segment, talking about some New Japan Pro Wrestling Sakura Genesis card on Sunday. There are three matches that you've highlighted that I know you very much want to talk about. As I mentioned earlier, or as was mentioned earlier in the show, I've been driving a bunch recently and working. I also cover the Masters here for CBS. I have not seen this, and honestly, I, I may try to fit it in tonight, but I don't know that I'm going to see it until after WrestleMania, but you had Will Ospreay. Marty Scroll. Yeah, we'll stop right, stop right there. Let's, let's get okay, right into the Osprey Marty Scroll because I wasn't going to watch this card 
because this is such a crazy, busy time. Building to Mania, UFC 223, which is at Joshua Parker Heavyweight Boxing Championship Unification. Our great listeners came to me, and they came into my DMs, Adam. They said, no, you have to see this. And I was incorrect, Adam. I assumed the week before the Strong Style Evolve card from NJPW in America was essentially the last stop on the road to Cody Kenny and ROH. I know it's separate promotions, but this little card stuck in between, slipped in. And man, did it bring the heat. Adam, I know you didn't see Osprey's girl, but did you see the gift that everybody's talking about? Absolutely. And it's it's good to report, I guess, that Will Osprey's alive. And that he will be wrestling this weekend uh, at Mania Weekend and, you know, many different times in many different places. Look, this is Will Osprey, and this is who he is. And he ended up defending his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against Marty Skrull in a half-hour match. This match was awesome. And it teased on what Nick said earlier tonight. The storyline was so good. The storyline was about Will Ospreay's neck hurting, and every move Marty Skrull did time after time just seemed to be another beatdown on that neck to continue. The problem was, Adam, if you want to think it's a problem, was that Ospreay's recklessness and out-of-controlness and part of the things we love and part of the things that we are scared about him got too far late in this match. He flipped over the top rope and hit his head on the back of the apron on the way out with another big spot. But the spot we're talking about is where he went for a Hurricane Rana on the ring apron. I think that's I think it was him initiating the move. I'm not even sure because of what happened at the end just took me so off guard. But it ended essentially with him getting crushed by Skrull onto the ring apron, head tucking under first, hitting the top of his head on the ring apron, then getting his neck tucked under. I mean, that's the kind of move that paralyzes people. And here's the thing about Will Ospreay. What is he, like 24, Adam? There are people, and I'm just a couple years into watching him, right? I mean, I got into him the first time he fought Ricochet, and everybody went nuts and said, this is ruining the business, this acrobatic gymnastic stuff. But there's people I know who are telling me, Will Ospreay may have peaked at, like, 21. You want to see the real Ospreay? Go see, like, 20, 21-year-old real Ospreay because he's already so broken down that he's already past his prime. And that's incredible to say about a guy this age. And I don't want to be here, sit here and tell you this guy's going to end up in a wheelchair like Dynamite Kid, but that's the comparison people are talking about. This guy is reckless. He's exciting, but this match was awesome. And I'm in that spot where I'm kind of torn between do I celebrate it or do I fear for this guy's life? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. Accidents happen in wrestling it's in any athletic event, and it's kind of tough to watch him because it's kind of like Sasha Banks. They put themselves in so many situations to get hurt that are unnecessary, and you would still be captivated and excited by him to and not see him even maybe come close to getting dropped on his neck right like we just talked about this with that uh what was it ishii and who um oh yeah ishii and uh what what match was that was uh michael elgin right like it was completely unnecessary the guy almost died in the middle of the ring you don't necessarily need to do that or if you're gonna do that do one you don't have to have yeah. six well, in so a meanwhile match, right? Osprey has those two spots I talked about that almost broke his neck. And Adam, Skrull does a tombstone pile driver twice. Once on the floor, once on the inside. They don't do it the WWE way like Taker, where your head is at the crotch level, not the knee level. They do it like Owen Hart on Steve Austin, 1997 level, broke the guy's damn neck. I mean, this is sick. Yeah, for sure. But I I think the the key is that he's healthy, seemingly, um, and ready to wrestle Thursday night for our enjoyment. Wow, but anybody that missed that match, and shout out to Craig E. Cheney Sr., bonus DM slide at 2 Cheney Z. He came, he said, I never heard of either guys, but damn, their match was great. Revolution reveals the truth, he says, right with you. Adam, the main event of this card, Kazucha Ochikata 
defeated Zack Sabre Jr. to defend the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. 35-minute match. You need to see this match. This is like almost a borderline five-star match. But it's match. it was contested completely at the style and pace of Sabre, which I have to assume to some people is an acquired taste. But I want to talk about this match for this one reason. Sabre has become a star in a way I never thought he would. We all knew him from the Cruiserweight Classic. We knew he has that joint manipulation style where he slows down matches. I've seen him on the indies. He's great. I just never thought he could be a heavyweight contender with NJPW. And Adam, anybody that watched the New Japan Cup last month and saw him beat one legendary name after another for NJPW and now go this deep with Okada, this guy has. It. And this guy is, is going places that I it's way too soon for, for what I thought, but he is living up to it each time. You a big fan of this guy? So I think he's doing a great job, but I'm almost wondering if his elevation... It's like when WWE like elevates a guy to job to the champion because they don't have a challenger, right? So did they elevate this guy through the New Japan Cup so he could lose to Okada at, at this event? Because really, who else do they have? I'm not saying they don't have talent. They have plenty of talent in NJPW. But Okada's beaten everyone, okay? So who is next? Like, who's he going to fight? So, okay, they needed someone from a rival faction. Sabre's extremely talented, very good in the ring. I'm not trying to downplay his potential to be a heavyweight champion somewhere, whether it's New Japan, somewhere else, whatever. I think he's great. I like watching him. But the criticism I do have is I don't think I've seen a Zack Sabre match that hasn't been wrestled his style. Good point. Good point. And that, that's going to be interesting. By the way, Daniel Bryan loves the style, and there's you know rumor that Daniel is going to bring a lot of this into, into the new Daniel Bryan. We may see some of this at Mania. We'll see. But look, they're setting him up, obviously, maybe to be a feature player at this year's G1. He was in last year's, you know, took a lot of losses, showed you some flash. Of course, we remember that match with uh, with who? With uh, Kota Bushi early on in the tournament. That was fantastic. But we'll see where that goes. Okada tied, what, uh, the record, Ace Tanahashi's record for most title defenses, I believe. And then Ace came in the ring afterwards, and they had a face-off. It looks like they're going to go together soon for Okada to break that record. But, but By the way, another guy who was in the Cruiserweight Classic. And... With Kota Ibushi, it seems in you know since it's gone on since it's happened, it seems pretty clear that Ibushi never had designs on signing with WWE. He just he was down to do some matches for them, but he wants to be a spot worker. He didn't want to like sign a long term deal. I th I think they missed on Saber. Like I'm pretty sure they either offered him a contract and it was too low, or they just didn't offer him a contract, and that is a massive miss if that's the case no 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 question about it i have to wonder how small those contracts were right to just come into you know the pc and nxt and you really start off so low the only other match i want to talk about which spins us off right into what we want to do here which is a cody versus kenny preview of course that's saturday night going up against the nxt card it's ring of honor super card of honor show from new orleans and they're bringing it, of course, with Kenny Cody. And the final stop on that was at this NJPW card where we saw a tag team match. Cody and Hangman Page representing the Bullet Club, defeating the Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. 24-minute match. The match, I think, would deserve high marks, but not for the the theatrics that you would expect inside the ring, more for the storytelling. I think it really did properly set the stage for what we're going to see on Saturday night. And I don't know if you saw the picture that's been going around Twitter, Adam. But uh, Cody took a hard way to the face when Kenny did like a reverse type wheel kick and the laces on his boots must have cut Cody right over his eye. Look at the type of, type of cut that you see in boxing and MMA matches and it dripped throughout the rest of the match. And there was, of course, a Twitter war that followed because Cody tweeted out a pic of it. Suddenly Disco Inferno, of all people, is saying this is an example of someone being reckless. And Cody sent that man straight 
to the deep, dark depths of hell. Like, <laughs> I like he came so direct. Like it wasn't like I'm about to have a Twitter war with you to get attention. I'm just going to bury you and destroy you. And then Cody even followed up with a subsequent tweet explaining why he buried him. That was an interesting side note. But what happened in the match essentially was the bad guys win Cody getting a roll up at the end. And, you know, it was he came out with a chair. It looked like they were going to attack Coda. Kenny makes a save. It sort of perfectly teased you for what's coming next. Cody versus Kenny. We know there was a being the elite episode. What happened at the end of that one? So basically, uh, Nick and Matt Jackson, the young bucks basically figured out that Cody's been trying to play them against one another, telling each of them to be singles wrestlers, uh, that they have an opportunity to do that in the future. First, obviously he had them move from the junior heavyweight to the heavyweight division. He's trying to manipulate them. Obviously the storyline trying to manipulate the logo of the, of the bullet club, which, I mean, I thought it actually would be cool if they did change the logo, honestly. And I say that, this is a quick aside, because it's 2018, and, like, I don't know about UBC, I'm not going to be wearing any shirts with guns and bullets on them at this point, right? So maybe they do need to – they don't have to change the name, but they got to change the shirt, or at least the main logo. I got, but it's the great logos. They're great shirts, by the way, great. but I fully agree. I'm not going to be taking my kids to pick them up at school with, with you know – with with that with that on the front of it, no, you know? exactly. But but that's besides the point. So it's it, they pretty much understand that Cody's purpose now is to break up the Bullet Club, kick Kenny out, um, and they came to that realization at the end of being the elite, which is leading into this Ring of Honor match uh, on Saturday night. And by the way, full disclosure, I like bringing the fans, our trusted fans, behind the fourth wall. This was this is already a loaded, ridiculous episode of In This Corner setting you up for Mania. Paul Heyman's going to be on this show later. We were supposed to have Cody as well. We were supposed to give you both sides of the story, right? The Revolution side, the the WrestleMania side. Uh, to fault, to no fault of Cody at all. Somebody else outside the scenes. We were unable to get him like we were supposed to. Wanted to give that for the fans because this match means that much to me. I think it means that much for anybody following it. And Adam, what this match is doing now, right? Last two weeks NJPW, but now it's Ring of Honor is exactly what all these revolution guys dream of, a territory system again, a real territory system where there's not exclusive contracts. Every interview with Kenny, every interview with all those guys, they want to be able to fight these WWE guys, right? But they don't want to be working 300 dates a year for WWE and be tied down to an exclusive deal. It is pretty cool how, whether you're watching on NJPW World Sunday night, whether you're watching on being the lead on YouTube the next day or whether you're going to be watching on, you know, on the app for Ring of Honor Saturday night, the storyline is weaving and evolving through multiple outlets. In 2018, that's pretty damn cool. That's progressive. I like it. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's something that WWE is trying to emulate a little bit. I mean, we talk a lot about the social media promos that guys like The Miz, uh, Baron Corbin, Mojo Raleigh, Mustafa Ali, etc. have been cutting. The problem with WWE is they are not training their audience to go seek those out. Whereas with NJPW slash really the Young Bucks and the Bullet Club, um, that's their only outlet. Like, yes, uh, there are bits and pieces that happen on Ring of Honor TV shows and at NJPW pay-per-views and so on and so forth. But their entire storyline is really contained on YouTube on this show. And it's just an interesting juxtaposition because they are fully taking advantage of what media you know has to offer these days. And WWE, as much as they may want to purchase tout and try to make that happen. Nice try. Or have people go to YouTube, which they do in other countries, but not so much the United States, um, or go to Twitter to see these promos. The fans are not conditioned to consume the product that way. And I'm not going to go on a tangent about this now, BC. I'll save it for after WrestleMania. But that's why I think WWE needs a new championship. You know the one I'm talking about. It's a little tease. We'll talk about it maybe after WrestleMania, like I said. Um, but something that engages fans 24-7. 
Very, very interesting. All right, let's talk about this match, Cody Kenny. I thought I'm higher on Cody's in-ring work and ability than you. We've had this debate before. I thought his match against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom 12 this year. Was it 12? 12 was the right number, right? 12 this year, Wrestle Kingdom? I think so. All right, Wrestle Kingdom of this year, if we get that wrong. Uh, I thought that was the best match of Cody's career. I thought it was a, you know, it was short, so it's not a five-star match, but it was very damn good. I have the same potential here, Adam, but more. And the more is the storyline. The more is the Young Bucks, who are probably going to be present. Look, the Young Bucks came out during this tag team match on Sunday and tried to interrupt the match and be like, guys, when is enough enough? When are you going to just bury this hatchet? You know, like you said, being, being the elite, Cody says after this match, it'll be buried. Will it be buried, Adam? Or do you think Cody Kenny is just the beginning for a longer-term, expansive feud that might go the distance to all-in in September. Um, I, I don't think it's the end. I don't know how it really could be. Like, what are you going to do, just have one match and that's it? Like, it seems like it's a longer-term thing with a potential Bullet Club split as part of it. I mean, if Cody has Hangman Page in his corner, like, who else does he have? It seems like Kenny and the Young Bucks will be together as the elite if the Young Bucks are truly understanding that Cody's trying to split them up um, versus playing one against the other that I thought last week on the show, I thought it would be Nick and uh, Kenny versus versus Cody and Matt, right? But that didn't seem to be transpiring. So I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. I do know this match is going to be extremely exciting. I do know that the IWC and Dave Meltzer and guys that are in your camp caring way more about the revolution in some aspects than WWE are going to go nuts about it. For me, I'm extremely excited to see it, right? I hope I'm able to see this match at some point somehow, right? But NXT is, is the same night, and I have a sneaking suspicion that as good as this is going to be, that Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa are going to do something to kind of steal the headlines. And I don't know that to be the case, hey, you, but I think By possible. the way, you could say that ladder match could also be that match. You could say Cien Almas, Alistair Black. I mean, look, the NXT is bringing it. There's no doubt about it to try to at least equal this. I think the best thing Cody Kenny can do, outside of giving you, what, four and a quarter, four and a half stars in terms of the in-ring, they probably will do that anyway. I think there needs to be some sort of hook at the end. Like, I don't think this is going to end with, like, a Kenny victory and a handshake to Cody and everybody's happy, right? I think there needs to be some juice at the end. Maybe that juice is splitting the Jacksons apart, like was earlier teased. You know what I mean? Maybe, like, that could be it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I think that for this platform, for how much they put into this, we got to have a good – we got to have something we didn't see coming, right? We got to be going somewhere out of this match. Unless they look at this as an endpoint, I just don't think they do. Yeah, I really just don't see how it how it happens. But I, I think it's fair what you said. I, I wasn't really going to try to put a star uh, ceiling on it. But I, I really think four and a quarter stars is the ceiling. I mean, I guess any match with Kenny Omega can be incredible. And he's going to help raise Cody's game. I just don't know that it's there on both sides to be a potential five-star match. Well, with if the they story. Go, even if they go all out. I meant four and a quarter as a ceiling of the in-ring. But I think the, if there's a great reveal at the end or some great storyline turn or something like that. I think that's when it can get into the five-star mode. And Absolutely. I, you know, maybe we see it. Look, I, my prediction is that Cody's going to win. I think this feud is going to continue. Cody is doing so incredible. As Nick said earlier, as a solo heel right now, even though of course he's still part of the bullet club. I want to see where this goes. I want to see Cody winning it. For sure. So BC, should we move on to the main events? Oh, there's no main events this week, this weekend. I mean, everything's the main event. Come on. There's no main well, I mean, event in this show I mean, either. The main, what, okay, I'll clarify. The main events of WrestleMania weekend. Uh, depends on where you stand. I think you're talking about NXT TakeOver New Orleans. Yes, let's, 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 let's dig I'm right into it. I'm trying to tell it. you it's okay to, to depart from the quote-unquote revolution and move over 
to where the big boys play. The oh, WWE wow. dare main you. cards. Wow. Wow. How dare you on that one? All right. All right. Let me get let me get my uh you know my ducks in a row. Let's do this thing. This look, this card's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be it's gonna be so fantastic, Adam, that like any year, you it, it may end up being better than Mania, right? And I think this year it's 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 as loaded on paper as any as any other takeover card coming in. I mean, let's be right right out honest on that one. What I find interesting is six months ago, if you asked me how NXT TakeOver is going to be in New Orleans, I would say, eh. Like, I just didn't necessarily think the pieces were there. Well, if you, you know, boy, am I wrong. If, if that was my opinion six months ago, they put this together in an incredible fashion. BC, let's start off with a triple threat tag team match for the NXT Tag Team Championship and the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Trophy. I mean, I don't know how the champions would get the trophy if they're not even in the tournament, but whatever. That's how it's being booked. We have the Undisputed Era, which is going to be Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole. Obviously, Bobby Fish is injured. I think he has a knee injury. Going up against the Authors of Pain and the team of Roderick Strong and Pete Dunne. They, instead of there being a Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic final with a definitive winner, they're both going to be in this title match, BC. Uh, you know, the, the the players involved in this one have so much potential for this to be great. And any any multi-team NXT TakeOver tag team match has really delivered in this regard. I think when you look at the lineup, though, to me personally, I think the winners are clear. And I think the reason why Roderick Strong and Pete Dunne in there are clear so they can take the fall. Because I think Authors of Pain is heading to the main roster very soon. Like four, five, six, seven days very soon. And I think they are going to bring it in their final match. You'll see Dunne and Strong take the pin. And you'll see the Undisputed Era continue building this prestige of their faction. And try. I mean, look, they've they've sort of instantly taken Sanity's spot as the go-to key faction in NXT. And I think this is the direction they're going. I mean, the only thing you can really predict here is, is, is a great match. I think we're going to end up doing that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, one way or another, TakeOver ends with Adam Cole having a belt around his waist. The question is, is it going to be the tag team belt or the inaugural NXT North American Championship, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think, because it's not going to be both. I think the way you have to book it is to keep Undisputed Era with the titles because with Bobby Fish sidelined, they still need a reason to exist as a power in the in the company. And having them without titles, just two dudes that are basically solo acts, that's not really going to cut it. What's his I, injury, though? Is, he, is his injury enough where he can still appear, or is his injury to his legs? I think it's to his leg. I think it's a knee injury, if I remember correctly. So it, that makes it difficult. I, I think we've all been waiting now for months for Undisputed Era to introduce a new member. That could potentially happen in this match, obviously, with it being a triple threat. Technically, there are no rules. Um, I mean, no disqualifications, no countouts. So that could happen. But what, well, I think you're totally right. I think Roderick Strong ends up taking the fall, um, you know, for, with Adam Cole get, you know, hitting his finish or something like that, BC. Uh, let's move on, actually, to the women's championship match. And, yes, we try to keep the women's title akin to the men's title. But on this particular card, in my opinion, at least, it's not one of the top three matches on the card. We have Ember Moon defending the title once again against Shayna Baszler, BC. Is this the time that Baszler finally becomes NXT Women's Champion? And I say finally, she's only been there a short period of time. Yeah, it's the time. And I think the booking of the last match really set that up to, to be true, right? With Baszler at the takeover in Philadelphia over Rumble weekend, do, like using every inch of her body and sweat and blood she had left to hold off. I'm sorry, Moon using that to hold off Baszler. Moon ended up with the arm injury afterwards. There's a lot of blood and guts in that match. I loved it. A lot of intensity. But storyline-wise, it was Moon doing 
anything in her power to be able to hold on to that belt, and Baszler the one coming out strong. When you consider Baszler's age, and that's ultimately the hook here, Adam, she's 37. She's only been a wrestler for, what, three years, right? Not even three full years. You got to give her the belt now because I think you want to make her as well-known as she is for when it's time to turn Ronda Rousey heel on the main roster when Baszler will be the perfect muscle for her on the side, especially if they re-kickstart that that four-horsewomen angle. Yes, Baszler's going to win here. It's going to be great, and it's weird. Moon's going to go down, not as a footnote in history because she's great, but she's going to be the transitional champion. She never beat Asuka, and now she's going to take you to Baszler. And it's that's disappointing because she's overachieved and I love her. And her match with Asuka, was it at Barclays last year? The the takeover Brooklyn that we both saw in person? Mm-hmm. I mean, were you at that one? No, no, you weren't oh, no. at that. Nick and Nick I sat at that one. That, I think, is the best women's match I've seen in the last few years. Like, that was so good. And I think that's where she came into her own. She's legit. I don't think she needs to leave NXT yet, but I think she's legit. It's just it's Baszler's time. Adam, I can't think WWE knew what they had in Baszler. I have to think they're surprised at how good she is. Maybe the best match since 2015, if you say last few years, because it was not better than Sasha banks Bailey. Also, obviously, uh, in Brooklyn, at least one of those matches. But, yeah, it was TakeOver Brooklyn 3 where that happened. She would be the transitional champion. She would be the shortest reigning NXT Women's Champion of all time. But that said, she's had the title for 137 days. It's not like it's like a Sasha Banks six-day title reign, right? So for me, it's the perfect time to either bring Ember Moon to the main roster or at least have her drop the title and and try to win it back and then fail and go to the main roster. But the, the NXT needs a dominant women's champion again, like they had with Asuka and like they had with uh, Charlotte you know, a, a couple years ago. And I think Shayna Baszler is the one to do it. I don't know if they didn't know what they had in Baszler per se, but she's surprising me. And I think you are doing her a disservice by su- suggesting that She's just going to come to the main roster and be Ronda Rousey's muscle. I think they keep them on separate brands, build both of them up, and that's a match at WrestleMania like three years down the line at the end of Rousey's contract before she has her kids. So well, okay, that's, but, how, but that's first, how I see it playing out. Then first, Shane has got to play Diesel to, to Shawn Michaels then, right? First, she's going to have to come in and be the muscle before she's I mean, like, she doesn't have to. There's a myriad other angles they could potentially run. They got to have a run together where they're both heels, you know, mi- mixing it up. And then finally Baszler turns. Come on. Come on. You know, I'm not, this. Saying, it's a bad, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying you're kind of assuming that's going to happen. I, I I don't think they see her as a muscle person, but maybe they do. But does Ronda, like Shawn Michaels needed Diesel. Does Ronda Rousey, the baddest woman on the planet, quote unquote, really need Shayna Baszler? She shouldn't in storyline wise, at least. Um, let's move on to this inaugural. NXT North American Championship. I'm not sh- you, I'm sure, got a chance to see the belt. I think it's fantastic. The championship. Sorry, Vince. Sorry, Triple H. Um, we have Adam Cole, EC3, Killian Dane, Laura Sullivan, Ricochet, and Velveteen Dream all going for this title in a ladder match. Holy oh crap. Give me the siren, BC. I'm ready for this. Oh, my God. Do you hear that sound right now? I mean, come on. <laughs> Give me the green light. Are you kidding me? I said Cody Kenny was the match I cared about the most. This is the match I expect to be the thing we're talking about. I don't want to say Monday morning, maybe even Wednesday morning. Whenever we sort of put the, a, a bow on the whole weekend that was, this is going to be the match. You know it is. Look at this lineup. Look at the diversity in the lineup from size to high flyers. When they debuted that championship in terms of what it looks like, it's so old school. It's so what... 
the grittiness of this promotion really is. Okay, what's NXT? I say it all the time. It's indie-style wrestling mixed with WWE proper with that old territory feel kind of, you know, bleeding through the booking. This feels like an old territory championship, and here's what I'm hoping, Adam, that they use the North American championship like WWE used to use the IC belt, right? You give it to two things your best worker, and your best worker who you are ready to prepare for that main event title level. So when you're asking me, and you didn't ask me, but I know you want to know my prediction and who I think is going to come out of here, I think it's got to be the one guy that they are ready to groom and get ready for that title. And if I'm predicting that Adam Cole is going to win the tag belts that same night, it's not going to be him, right? It could easily be Ricochet. But I think Ricochet is going to jump right off the page so quickly that I think even Vince is going to be like, we got to get him up sooner than later. So I think the guy is Dream. I think Dream is the guy you put the belt on, let him establish this belt, and then groom him and get ready for his own run at the NXT title where he can hold that for a year because he's only 22. There's no reason not to let this be Velveteen Dream's NXT era. Just like Shinsuke had a quick little era. Finn had a strong era, right? Certain guys have been... Asuka had an NXT era. Velveteen Dream's going to have an NXT era, and it's going to start on Saturday night. There's a very good reason not to put it on Velveteen Dream, because what we've already learned about him, young in his career, is he is so much better at the chase. Not that he's had a championship yet, but he is so damn good at the chase, right? Getting Aleister Black to say his name. He was an expert in it. So because of that, I think you immediately make a legit man out of either EC3 or Ricochet, one of your newest guys in um, the NXT territory, company, whatever you want to call it, put the belt on one of them. I, I think I'm leaning towards EC3 over Ricochet just because you saw it uh, last week on NXT, that persona in the ring. Oh, yeah. I, thought it was a, I thought it was a clunky entrance, but once he got in the ring and got on the mic, he was really damn good. And I think that's the kind of guy you want holding the championship for the first time. But BC, I'm going to tell you this right now. The biggest response of this entire weekend is probably going to be Gargano Ciampa just in the ring together, right? Most likely. But if they get a moment, a Nakamura Styles-ish moment with Ricochet and Velveteen Dream, the roof is going to blow off of <laughs> whatever the hell this arena is that's going to be. Is Smoothie King even... Center, I think? Smoothie King Center, that's right. I, oh, yeah, it's going to be so good. I mean, the high spots are going to be absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, shout out to EC3. There's one thing he does. He's got a great body. But there's one thing he does very, very well. We wear, we wear suits very, very well. That's not what I'm saying. The one thing he does very, very well is Axe Mug. <laughs> he does the rich guy, I'm better than you think, so well. So you're right. If they put the strap on him, I'm not going to complain. But this this match is going to be 18 stars. It's going to be so good. I know it's a lot of, we're putting pre- a lot of pressure. There's not a lot of ladder matches in NXT's history. Like, let's not forget that. It's not a lot of multi-man matches like this. But it's just going bri- to do it. By the way, an easy-made group, if they want it, EC3 is the leader with Tino Sabatelli and Riddick Moss. Yeah, all, all all dudes. Yeah, all all muscle bound dudes who who act like they're cooler than they are. Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do it. And you notice I called them a group, not a stable, because it's only three people. And WWE for some reason only has one stable insanity. Anyway, uh, the double main event is what I'm going to call it here of NXT Takeover. And BC, with your permission, I'm going to go with the title match first because, in my opinion, Gargano Ciampa, like I said, is oh, the true main you. event of NXT Takeover. So Andrade Cien Almas with Selena Vega in his corner, defending against Alistair Black. I'm going to start off on this one, BC, because I want you to start off on Gargano Ciampa to close this out here. But it's tough. This is tough for me because I think what WWE saw with Andrade Cien Almas at the Royal Rumble was that this guy can work and is ready for the main roster now. I don't think you need to wait to bring him up. For that reason, I think it makes sense to put the title on Aleister Black. But no matter what, the loser of this match 
should be main roster Monday night. I don't think so. I think there were. I think both could do a great job going up the main roster, right? I just think what we've seen lately is the main roster doesn't need anybody. <laughs> they don't, and you know, and if we but they think, have to, they have to cycle people though. If you know we that. think we're getting authors of pain, if we think maybe Lashley's gonna gonna make his debut, I just don't think. I think a lot of these guys are just gonna go to the land of Tyler Breeze. They're just gonna go and they're gonna fade away. Ty Dillinger. It's just gonna be that. And I know I say that all the time. I know these guys are better than those guys, but yeah, still, you can't make a comparison between those guys and these. But guys. Vince gets so even Almas, I love, but guess what? Vince's gonna get tired of him after three months, and he's gonna be a, a, a Jobert. So I don't want to. I, look, I don't. I, I can't wait to go to high school billy no no stay here stay here as long as you can i think they both stay here because i think us uh, right now trips is really trying to give nxt an identity again in terms of not just the identity that all the matches will be great i mean he's he just had a rebuild so why not keep a core of guys who are going to take this for the next six months nine months i think almost is going to hold on to the belt i could easily see black winning it I think Black's going to win it a couple more matches down the line. I think this is going to be a feud for a while, and I think this is going to obviously be a strong start. I mean, it's not going to be five matches. Neither are the worker of Gargano's level, but they both have great gimmicks. They both know how to play their characters. Vega always adds so much pepper. Pepper, I said. You're the great spice to the to what she's doing out there. And and come on, let's. I mean, we are we are allowed we are allowed to say that. But yes, damn right. Uh, yeah, I like I like almost, but look, either way, it's gonna we're gonna win watching this thing, so I'm fine with it. It's not look, you know what? It's not it's not Bobby Roode against Drew McIntyre, and I'm not trying to rip those guys, but no ring in ring chemistry. When that was your NXT takeover main event, you have a ceiling on how good the show can be. Both of these two guys can responsibly close the show with a bang. Oh no, this this is gonna be the best NXT title match at one of these takeovers, in my opinion. In a, not, I'm not counting Gargano. I'm saying like. WrestleMania takeover in quite some time. Didn't they also do Rude Nakamura Battle of the Entrances, right? Yeah, it was and not like good. we saw it, and Nakamura obviously is very good, but it just it didn't work. I know Jim it, Ross it, loved that match. He loved the old school quality. No one's more old school than me, and I just didn't love that match. Live, it just didn't work. Same. I think this is gonna be an incredible match. Obviously, like I said, we know Almas can work. We know Black can work. I legitimately can see it going either way, but I just don't see much of a road forward. Like you're saying you think it's the beginning. I don't know where they go from here. These aren't necessarily natural rivals in terms of personalities, so on and so forth. They are rivals, and they're certainly on opposite sides, but Black is almost being too much of a baby face, right? When he he should be one, but he should be a badass baby face. He should. It's, it doesn't it's seem weird. right. To I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It's weird that uh, that a he's not a demon, right? And I know I, I always yeah. stand on that hill, but he's a dark character being pushed as, as a guy you should love. And you know what, if they're going to go that direction, then the best thing to do is to cheat him out of a title in this main event so that we have to build toward another one when he finally goes over the top. I mean, that's just how wrestling is booked. For sure. My main event of the night, and potentially one of the main events of the weekend, BC, an unsanctioned match between Johnny Gargano Tommaso Ciampa. If Gargano wins, he gets reinstated to NXT. And if Ciampa wins, Gargano is banned for NXT for good. Yeah, this is a great blood war. Great, great, great. Everything about it has been handled so well. And you know what? I actually, until we we were prepping and set up to do that Moro Ronaldo uh, interview last week with that NXT special edition we did, I did had I had forgotten that Gargano and Ciampa did fight at the Cruiserweight Classic while teammates in that you know, 10 minute or so match they put on was so memorable. Oh, man. I heard Gargano recently in an interview on the Edge and Christian pod where he talked about they he's so proud of that match because they made fans feel like it was a 30 minute match and it was really like nine and a half, 10 minutes. So even if that's your only basis of what this could be, then, you know, in ring, these guys are going to deliver, but certainly when you add the, the hate and all that, that's going to go with it. But the unsanctioned part of it, Adam, 
I don't. That doesn't make me feel like it's going to be a clean match. It's, it's, it's going to be a war, right? Weapons. It's going to go outside. It's going to be. It's going to be out of control. I mean, and it should be w- the way it's been booked. Yeah, it's a blood feud, so you need that element in it. Um, but I do think ultimately, while that will be a part of the match, and it'll be the reason, let's say, that Johnny um, becomes an even greater underdog because he's so hurt. Maybe Champa takes out his knee, something like that, with a crutch or a table, whatever. Um, I think ultimately we're going to see the final six, seven, eight minutes of this match in the in the middle of the squared circle, and we're going to see just classic wrestling. So I'm perfectly excited for it. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough to make a prediction on this one because you can argue that Ciampa winning is the right way to go and that Johnny just cannot overcome that obstacle, and then eventually they meet on the main roster and they have a story to tell and he overcomes the obstacle. But I think fans, and I know I, and I don't say it as a fan. I, I was, I'm saying it as like someone who thinks – with a booking mindset, at least occasionally, um, I wanted to see Gargano beat Almas for the title, and I think fans need to see Gargano win something outside of a number one yeah. contenders match on a major stage. And I think, like I said, with the North American Championship match, the roof of Smoothie King Center, forget blow off. It's gonna the whole arena is gonna explode if Johnny Gargano wins. They got they got a Daniel Bryan on their hands here. They do. They do. He, he's it's not it's obviously not as big in terms of the the explosion and the recognition of the fans, but the, the organic love is, is really one and the same. So uh, you're right. I, I don't see him losing here just to go to like 205 Live and win that Cruiserweight title. Like it's just, you know, he's not even that kind of worker, to be really honest. For 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 a little guy, he's not a high flyer. He says it himself. He's not necessarily a high flyer. He's NXT. NXT is grit. NXT is him. So he has to win this match to stay on the roster. I think that's the, that's it. He's got to win this match. And it's going to be great. It's going to be violent. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be, it may be the one that wins your heart, Adam. And we talk about it when we do our, our you know, post-weekend pods. But what, what else are you going to say about this match? It's going to be unbelievable. These guys are, these guys are great. This promotion's great. All right. We made the right choice. I love Cody, Kenny, but we made, <laughs> we made the right choice. I want to close on NXT, Adam, with one bonus DM slide we didn't have time for from our good buddy, Adam X Parsons. He says, to follow up after last week's NXT episode, if you had to choose your Mount Rushmore of NXT talent, I think I did sort of tease that idea. I said, if you're going to make a Mount Rushmore, you might as well just put the four horsewomen on it. He says, who would you go with? Now, Adam, hear this out. Your guy Adam X goes with Finn Balor, Asuka, Charlotte, and Sami Zayn. And that's fair. That's fine. Me personally, here's how I would do it. And tell me if I'm breaking the rules right here, all right? I'm putting Kevin Owens on there. And I'm going to tell you, he's, he's, he's the hook of why I started it, right? I knew his name at, at, at watching the Indies wasn't, you know, wasn't really following him, though. He won me over. Shinsuke Nakamura over Finn Balor, I'm going to go, because Shinsuke came to power at NXT at a time where they were reloading and the roster wasn't as deep as it had been. Asuka, definitely. But then I want to put the entire four horsewomen in the fourth spot. Am I on a line right here? You're not. Um, it's interesting. I, I think your biggest mistake there is actually Shinsuke Nakamura. And it's crazy to say that. But my four, so I'm going to go with, I think the four horsewoman concept is great, but it's cheating, right? So if we're allowed to cheat, I agree with you. That's the fourth spot. If they can just, you know, do a, uh, a mashup of their faces altogether, which probably would not look very good at all. <laughs> um, but a mashup of their faces in that four spot, fine. But assuming we can't do that, I'm going to go ahead and say, Finn Balor, Asuka, Kevin Owens, I agree with you for the exact same reasons that you said, and William Regal. And no, he's not an in-ring talent, but he's an on-screen talent. And honestly, a lot of NXT's success, storyline success, on TV, 
has been funneled through him. And I don't think that should be overlooked. I don't know. That feels like a reach. I feel like if you're going to open that door, then you might as well just put Triple H on there. It's like when we do the no, mo- he's not an on-screen. He's not an on-screen authority figure manager. Regal's wrestled matches in NXT early on. It's it's a really a no-brainer. For All right. I, okay. I'll I'll be fine with that. And I think look, it could, if you could pick both Joe and Balor over Shinsuke, I just think Shinsuke became an attraction there during a stretch where I wondered if that was when the brand was going to finally take a dip. And he became the reason that you went to takeovers and, and waited for his entrance at the main event. Like I wouldn't put Joe. I, I, Joe's not in the conversation. Joe had a good run there. Joe, I mean, you know, Joe, I mean, Joe was relying on, on Finn Balor for that, but Joe was very much a, you can't call someone like him a transitional champion. Cause he wasn't really, but it felt like that to me. I mean, look, Sami Zayn is a great pick. I don't put, like, the the Bray Wyatts or the early Shield guys on there because I think NXT was really figuring out who they were at that point. Anyone wanted to put Neville on there, I'd be more than fine with that. I'd be uh, okay with that. And and then, look, are we, who are we missing from the last year? I mean, we got Asuka on there. I don't think there's any any male, any male single male wrestler who has who has sort of reached that point yet. But, John, hey, it's a very interesting question. Johnny's not there, but if he gets reinstated and ends up being in NXT for another year, he might make it, and I think that would be totally fine. And BC, we now have, obviously, WrestleMania 34 waiting for us, but it's going to wait for you guys as well, and you tell them why, BC. Uh, I mean, it's we get guests on the show, and they stand up for different reasons, but there's no one I love talking to more, and I don't think we've specifically had him on the show. We've had him on CBS Sports many times, but the great Paul Heyman, who's going to play a big part of what I think should be the main event, of course, this weekend, he's also got his own th- gig in New Orleans he wants, he wants to tell you about, but... You want to talk about 30 minutes with, with Paul Heyman, you say yes. You just press play on the recorder and you see what happens next. That's what we did. I think you're going to like it. Enjoy. Paul Heyman, the advocate for Brock Lesnar. Just days before WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans, you'll see Paul alongside Lesnar for the big match against Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. But you'll also see Paul Heyman this week doing a one-man show called An Evening with Paul Heyman, Thursday, April 5th in New Orleans at the Joy Theater. Visit paulheymanlive.com for ticket and show information. Paul, always, always a pleasure to have you on the show. But, I mean, let's start right there. What in the heck can we expect from a Paul Heyman one-man show? And don't, please, don't tell me hashtag hustle booty temp tats or anything like that. What are we going to see in this show? I I honestly don't know because it's not up to me. It's up to the audience. We um we did three of these shows in the UK a couple of years ago in London, Manchester, and Glasgow. And about five minutes into the first show, I realized that if we stick to a format that we or I or the host of the show wants to do, then we're dictating to the audience. Um. Instead, what we figured out was real quickly, if people are going to pay money to come see a show, then they have things on their mind to discuss. They, it, it's become almost like a think tank uh, where you get all these WWE fans and ECW fans and fans of the other groups as well, and they all converge in the same place at the same time. So these are people with things on their mind and they want to discuss it. And the only common denominator in the room is that I'm there almost as um, the conductor of their symphony. So it's a really interesting thing because all three shows in the UK turned out to be completely different. 
And I would suspect that with the WrestleMania crowd, which is a very vibrant, live, wild crowd, uh, we're going to have a very interesting night next Thursday in New Orleans. That that sounds that sounds like a must see event, Paul. And in, in an already loaded weekend, I mean, it's every wrestling promotions Super Bowl, every retired wrestler's chance to come back. This is this is a must see event. It sounds like for sure, and certainly so is WrestleMania 34. And you'll be there with Brock in a in a match that really could and should contend for that going on last spot, that main event spot to close the show. So, Paul, we got Brock's wrestling peers on this show all the time, and they sort of say the same thing about real-life Brock Lesnar. You know, he's hard to deal with. He hates people. That What he does on the screen is not a shoot, yet you're able to carry on this friendship, business partnership that's going on something like 20 years. How do you fit into this role? How do you keep this alive? I earn my keep with Brock Lesnar every single day. If anyone is of the belief that Brock Lesnar is not the single most ruthless athlete to ever step into a WWE ring, they don't know Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is, I absolutely guarantee you, the most ruthless athlete to ever step into a WWE ring. I earn my keep with him every single day. The day that someone comes along that can do the job as Brock Lesnar's advocate better than I can, I will be replaced I have absolutely no qualms with that e- equation. It, I am up to the challenge. It keeps me on my toes. It, it makes me prepare every single performance uh, as if my job and my life are on the line because, bluntly, when it comes to Brock Lesnar, they are. Very, very fair right there. And uh, one thing I like... When we get these wrestlers on and we ask them, and look, as a wrestling fan, you're always searching for the truth in this scripted world. And if you tell me everything's a work, I, I might believe you. But we're we're always asking these guys, really, what's it like to prepare to go against Brock? And we had Samoa Joe just a few months ago, and he's like, look, straight up, it's like preparing for a fight. Because if you don't earn Brock's respect in that ring and you're not prepared to trade with him like it's a fight, he doesn't respect you and he'll take advantage of you. And it's not going to be the match you expected. Is, has there ever been anyone like that in the modern era? I mean, is this really, I, I know you, your job is to carnival bark how rare this guy is, but is there anyone else like that in wrestling today? My job is the easiest job in the world because I don't really need to embellish or exaggerate about A, the accomplishments, B, the mindset or see the reality that is Brock Lesnar. No, there is no one uh, in this era or in previous eras that's like Brock Lesnar. You know, there are legends about guys like Lou Fez when he was the NWA champion. He liked to wrestle against straight wrestlers. He didn't like guys that carried a gimmick, uh, so to speak which is why he never got along with Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Uh, There are stories about Bruiser Brody beating the living crap out of people in the ring that just didn't bring it. Or Stan Hansen, when Stan Hansen was was the top foreign uh, wrestler in Japan. Today's era, there's Brock Lesnar. And there are two choices when you step into the ring with Brock Lesnar. One is the proverbial lace them up tight, be ready for a fight, and bring it to Brock Lesnar. 
and he'll respect you. B is you choose not to do that, and you are in for a very painful evening. As the saying goes, this ain't ballet. (laughs) And Brock Lesnar is not going to compromise his aura, his mystique, or his box office attraction for anybody. He's going to go in there and give a performance the likes of which you can't find from other people. So when you step into the ring with Brock Lesnar as Samoa Joe, who is as tough as they come, will attest, you're in for a fight. And if you're smart, you'll make sure that Brock Lesnar is in for a fight too. You know, we actually interviewed Roman Reigns just a day ago, and he told us at WrestleMania 31, he to open that match, laid something on a little thick, and Lesnar literally just picked him up, rammed him into a corner, and cracked one of his ribs, you know, minutes into that match. So that really stands right in line, you know, with what you're talking about. Well, now now we're talking, because Roman Reigns comes from a family that would subscribe to this style of performance. Roman Reigns' father and uncle were two of the most legendary tough guys in the history of this industry. And the story about how they broke into the business, again, it's very easy to talk about it because you don't need to exaggerate or embellish it. Pat Patterson was causing riots in San Francisco because he was beating up Peter Maivia, who was the big star Samoan wrestler. Atha and Sika were fans, and they used to jump out of the balcony trying to get to Pat Patterson. And Patterson went to the promoter, Roy Shire, and said, if these guys ever get to me, they're going to kill me. Why don't we just train them so we can make money with them before they finally catch me. So they, they trained Afa and Sika to be wrestlers because they were afraid of what would happen if Afa and Sika ever got their hands on Pat Patterson to avenge the beating that Patterson had given <laughs> Peter Maivia. And this was the style that the Samoans employed. Roman Reigns could not have had an easy upbringing. His father was the enforcer of the family. I don't say that disparagingly to Sika. I say that with great respect about the man. I witnessed him being the enforcer of the family um, for many years in the Northeast. And then when he worked with us, when Eddie Gilbert and I were working in in the Alabama territory in 1988. So... I'm very familiar with just how tough Roman Reigns' father and how tough Roman Reigns' uncle and all of his cousins are. So when Roman Reigns talks about WrestleMania 31 and the fact that in the opening moments of the match, he brought it to Brock Lesnar and got his ribs cracked because of it, I have a feeling that this is something that Roman Reigns doesn't shy away from. He grew up like this, and this is the style that was employed in his house when he was trained by his father and his uncle and and the other members of of the Samoan dynasty. 
So to you, there's no question he's just as tough as the rest of his family. I I think Roman Reigns uh, is is very is very prepared to step into the ring with Brock Lesnar, understanding that this is going to be as physical and non PG of a main event that WrestleMania has to offer, at least in this decade. So on that note, obviously, there's a lot of stuff out there. Brock Lesnar's contract eventually expiring, whether it's immediately after WrestleMania, shortly thereafter, etc. Paul, what I'm curious about, should Brock Lesnar leave? Let's say he does go to UFC, you know, fights heavyweight over there. Are you interested in maintaining an on-screen role or presence in WWE? Or at this point in your career, do you feel yourself almost in a situation where it's all Brock Lesnar or nothing? Well, that's the gazillion-dollar question right now. Um, If Brock Lesnar goes exclusively to UFC, uh, does Paul Heyman simply uh, tend to his outside projects, or is, is there something for me in WWE that intrigues me to the point that I think I can add both to the, my legacy and to my bank account uh, and, and be challenged to produce top quality work um, after 31 years in the business. And I don't have that answer for you yet because both Brock and I have come to the conclusion that we are best served, WWE is best served, and uh, all of our projects, Brock's being UFC, mine being uh, other television projects and movie projects that my agency is working on right now, we are all better served if we simply focus on getting through the main event of WrestleMania on April 8th. And once that happens, then addressing all the various options that may be out there. The best analogy that I can give you is this. The most famous cliffhanger in television history was who shot J.R. Ewing. And when the producers of Dallas made the decision, let's put bullets inside J.R., they didn't know yet who was going to be the one revealed that shot Jr. They simply said, let's shoot the bastard and figure it out afterwards. Hmm. And that's kind of the attitude that Brock and I have taken regarding this WrestleMania. Yes, our contracts are expiring. That's public knowledge. Yes, Brock Lesnar wants to fight in UFC. That's not a secret. He posed with Dana White for a selfie at the UFC offices, wearing a UFC t-shirt. I do have other projects in the works, and I am pursuing them with passion. But in terms of WWE, we've kind of taken the approach of, let's get to April 8th, let's deliver the best possible main event that, that this era has ever seen, and once that's over, we'll assess our options. Very, very fair answer. And, um, you know, you know what I'm going to say, Paul, please don't go. Please don't go. But, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens right there. And 
Paul, I talked to you a few years ago when I was still at ESPN about the art of a pro, art of the promo, and we went deep on your career. And the the prevailing quote that stood out to me was, "You called yourself the cockroach of the industry because you know." You've worked for everybody. You've worked in every role. I mean, if we're looking for somebody who's a historian of this business because they've lived it and they were there, I mean, I don't think anyone has a more decorated resume than yourself. And in that resume are times when you competed against Vince McMahon, times when you were fired by Vince McMahon, times when you are now working hand in hand. He's at 72. You're maybe a little mellower than your than your prime oversized cell phone days. What's that relationship like now? I mean, I can't imagine you guys sharing a knish at an all night diner and talking about the old days. But <laughs> how does Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman get that? Well, I, I I I don't think that we would share a knish because I don't think Vince McMahon eats carbs. That's a fair that's a fair <laughs> point right there. But like, what does that look like when you when there's interaction these days? Um. You know, it, I, 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 I hate to, I, I hate to give the same quote more than once, but I, I think I accurately described it in, in a recent uh, discussion with someone. Um, I, I, I think Vince McMahon has begrudgingly accepted the fact that I am the greatest advocate and orator in the history of world wrestling entertainment and i have begrudgingly accepted the fact that vince has accepted the fact that i am the greatest advocate and orator in world wrestling entertainment history on that note paul you've always railed against the term manager not just now you're obviously the advocate for brock lesnar don't worry we're not getting that wrong but in the past agent and ceo of the dangerous alliance what about the term manager have you always hated? Well, I think it's an antiquated term. I don't think it applies to the role that I play. And I don't know if there's someone out there, <clears throat> excuse me, right now that has a portrayal of a manager in mind. Um, Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie. The Grand Wizard, Jimmy Hart, J.J. Dillon, Bobby Heenan. These guys were managers. And they were fantastic in their role. And they drew money or they assisted in drawing money or they set the table for money to be drawn. When I broke in in 1987 as Paulie Dangerously, I was a manager. And I was a manager of the original Midnight Express. I was a manager of Austin Idol and Tommy Rich in Memphis. Um, I was a manager of the Samoan SWAT team. And I, I think I finished up my role as a manager when I managed mean Mark Callis, who went on to become The Undertaker. When we started the Dangerous Alliance, we came up with the term the CEO of the Dangerous Alliance, because by that time, I thought that the role had run its course in this business. And we needed something new, not only something to revolutionize the role or redefine the role, but for the role to evolve into. And in today's more realistic presentation of the product, I don't think the interfering manager that distracts the referee or, or causes uh, his, his, his uh, client to 
uh, eke out a victory over a hero, I don't really think that applies anymore. I just don't see the role being effective or credible. So I view my role as an advocate because that's what I do for Brock. I advocate his position. I don't interfere in his matches. I don't get physically involved, nor should I. He walks the walk. I talk the talk. Now, there may be someone out there or an act out there in which two people can be put together to where someone can play a manager. I just don't see it in today's environment. If it happens, great. But if not, then I think um, I've, I've taken the liberty of trying to expand the role, keep it current, keep it fresh, um, keep it contemporary with today's presentation of sports entertainment to where the role has now migrated and evolved into being an advocate. Paul, when you, we mentioned the dangerous alliance and that's a great run for you in WCW. When we look back at the history of Vince McMahon taking it national and, and competing and everyone looks at the attitude era, WCW versus WWF at the time, but you were involved with WCW from that stretch, let's say 88 to 93, where we have a lot of arguments on this show that WCW was the best promotion in the world at that time. We asked Jim Ross himself, and certainly he has a dog in that game, but, you know, a, a horse in that race, and he agreed with me. That just happens to coincide with the exact stretch that you were there. Would you agree with that, that what was coming out of Atlanta at that time was, was even better than what was going on across the street? Well, it was an, it was an interesting time for WWE. Uh, they, they, they were under a lot of pressure at that, at that time. They were under a lot of pressure because of, of a federal investigation. They were under a lot of pressure because Vince McMahon had a, had a lot of other things on his mind besides just simply running the company and the product. Um, they, they were in a transition period because um, the Hulk Hogan era had run its course and they were trying to find something new to latch onto. At the same time, WCW was trying to find a way to capitalize on the box office appeal of, of guys like Sting or the Steiner brothers. Um, you know, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, Steve Austin, Brian Pillman, the talent base in WCW was far better than the talent base in WWE. But again, at the same time, WWE was drawing far, far more money, making much more money because they promoted their product better. But in terms of being a product, 1988 to 1993, uh, I, I would agree with Jim Ross's assessment that the better talent and the better product was probably in WCW. So, Paul, I think at this point in your career, you've been asked enough about the creation formation and even the day-to-day -day of what went down in ECW. So I actually want to jump a little bit ahead into SmackDown in 2003-2004, and I apologize for how vague this question is going to be. But I took four years off watching wrestling in general when I was in college. It was probably a good decision at the time. 
I'm just coming back into that period of time that I missed. I'm watching the pay-per-views, the TV shows, and just catching up on this gap in time. And I don't, I don't want to say logic because some of it's obviously always logical. But I'm watching 0304 Raw and SmackDown right now. And the only question I legitimately have for you, obviously for anyone listening, you were the general manager on screen for SmackDown during that period of time. What the hell was going on in WWE? There's new you know, wrestlers showing up and then they're gone two weeks later. The storylines from one week to another on every brand across everything aren't necessarily always even connecting as they do now. Was there some internal shift that we just don't necessarily know about? Or was it just a time where WWE was maybe trying to feel itself out on how it was going to go post-acquisition of WCW? Well, it's not just that, but it's also a fact that coming out of the Attitude Era, uh, Dwayne Johnson leaves in 2002 to do movies. Stone Cold Steve Austin, because of his neck injuries, is pretty much forced into retirement. Who's going to pick up the mantle and be the top star poster boy for WWE, the number one, um, the, uh, the top box office attraction around whom everything is built. And at that time, there was no automatic answer. Um, Brock Lesnar emerged in 2002, but by 2000 and beginning of 2004, Brock Lesnar wanted out. Kurt Angle was, was an Olympic gold medalist, but was already feeling the injuries that he had, that he had suffered um, earlier in the decade. Um, who was going to emerge from the ranks as being the, the, the undisputed number one top star? Um, when I was the lead writer of SmackDown in 2002, I tried to position Edge, but Edge needed a few more years on top to become recognized by the general public and accepted as the number one top guy. We tried it with Eddie Guerrero. Again, Eddie Guerrero needed more time on top to be accepted as the undisputed number one mm-hmm. guy to carry the company. In the meantime, John Cena was emerging. And John Cena was working his way up the ranks. But it wasn't until mid-2005 that John Cena started to really take hold as the number one box office attraction around which everything could be built. So the first half of the decade was a search for who would become, quote unquote, the attraction that pulls the wagon. And when you don't know around whom your fortunes can be invested, you find that almost on a monthly or bi-monthly basis, the company is going to change directions until they find that proverbial lightning in a bottle. 
That was that was uh, some kind of time back then. And, you know, I don't have to bring up the uh, Paul Heyman appearance in the uh, 2002 pay-per-view main event next to Brock Lesnar in the ring. That was that was that was certainly was that vengeance. That was certainly a good run right there, Paul. I was seeing you in the ring a few times. Always memorable in my mind, whether you're tuxedo match or not. But, uh, Paul, the last thing I want to sort of ask you right now, the in-ring style of wrestling Arguably, maybe not arguably, the for me the best I've ever seen the athleticism, the the high wire. What's going on in New Japan is is mind blowing. You're seeing some of that same style bleed into WWE today with the idea of five and six star matches for people that care about that. Have you seen a better time for just the in ring product? Because I know that when you've been around, people will say, "Hey, there's not as much storytelling in it these days." How do you sort of see that on what we're seeing in the ring at the highest level in comparison to history? Well, what I think we are seeing is the emergence of many different styles that are finding their audience and finding ways to please their audience. And that's the natural evolution of the industry in that whatever is popular and on top in WWE today, others need to present an alternative to that style, or they're just giving a watered down version of what is drawing big money in WWE. So whether it's new Japan or ring of honor or evolve, uh, or, or any of these, or any of these, uh, groups, the style that gets implemented and catches on will eventually take hold it'll migrate to nxt and from nxt it'll migrate to raw and smackdown um and and that's because the talent will will end up migrating because the search will be on for those who present a new version of sports entertainment that the audience wants to see so right now wwe is exploiting what is popular or most popular on a global basis today, but the style won't be the same in three to five years. And three to five years after that evolution, a different style than what you're seeing coming up the ranks today will replace what is in vogue in three or five years. And it has to be. The business has to move forward. It has to be progressive. It has to innovate new styles, new approaches, new ways of presenting the product, new ways of promoting a new presentation, or it falls backwards and and, and then it loses money. So the only way for the business to survive and indeed thrive is to constantly come up with new styles that the audience latches onto and says, whoa, this is the new big thing. This is, this is the hot, new, young, contemporary style that the other guys aren't doing, that, the, that WWE isn't doing. So this alternative product then catches on, becomes the accepted product, and a new alternative product will emerge as well. It's just the constant flow of evolution in the business. 
Very, very good way to sum it up there, Paul. I mean, we could talk to you for hours here. We appreciate your time going deep on the history of the business, and we'll see you WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans alongside Brock Lesnar, the Universal Championship match against Roman Reigns, of course, in the Superdome. We'll also see you Thursday, April 5th at the Joy Theater in New Orleans in evening with Paul Heyman. Visit paulheymanlive.com for ticket and show information. I know the doors open at 9.30, show at 10. All the information you need on paulheymanlive.com. Paul, thank you so much for the time. And I know I say this every time, but start a podcast already because I could listen to you go on for hours. All right? <laughs> well, uh, there, there's no accounting for taste, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the time. Hey, hey, Brian. Yes. Good to talk to you. Wow. Wow. Lots to digest there, Adam, as always with the great Paul Heyman. So shout out to him for giving us that time. I mean, I mean, where do you go first? Him telling the insides of what it's like to deal with Brock Lesnar. And look, Paul can touch on K. He can touch. He can grab the kayfabe ball and bounce it around a few times. But I felt like he was giving us a real sort of insight into into who Brock is. Yeah, I th- we've like you said, we've spoken to him a couple times now. I've, I've interviewed him personally twice. This was by far the least kayfabe interview he's ever given us. And one of the least kayfabe interviews I think I've heard, which is good because honestly, someone with his experience, intellect, uh, and knowledge of the business, you want to ask those questions. And maybe one day when he's fully out of the business, he'll be able to give the interview that you really want, the inside baseball of like, hey, this thing happened. Tell me everything about it. Like, how, how did this get booked? And why did he do this? And so on and so forth. And he has those stories to tell. And maybe those are some of the stories he tells at his event, right? That he's promoting. That's part of the reason he joined us. Um, so maybe we just need to start going to those, but I'd be really interested to talk to Paul in that type of depth. And I think we got a nice sneak peek of it on this. I mean, you could just ask that guy anything about wrestling history because he was there in, in the modern run. So always great to chat with him, uh, getting his insights and, you know, him teasing that he could be done after mania Lesnar could be done. It is interesting. I, sometimes I feel like it's a fog smoke machine and then we'll just see him, you know, Maybe this will be the time he joins forces with Reigns. We'll see some kind of big swerve coming. But Paul's smarter than all of us, so I won't, I won't put anything past him on that for sure. For sure, BC. Now, look, I'm down in New Orleans. I got the Big Easy on my mind. I want to get out of this damn hotel room that I'm currently taping this podcast in with you and get to Bourbon Street. But before I do that, we need to break down WWE, WrestleMania 34, the granddaddy of them all. We have a 13-match card with the assumption that The Undertaker and Cena, in some form or fashion, will get added. We will talk about that a little bit later. Let's run through this kickoff show really quick. Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Let me, let, let me start you with this, BC. Should this Battle Royal exist every year? And who should win this year? Uh, I mean, it has to exist this year because you want to you have some nice cross-promotion for the uh, Andre the Giant doc, which WWE was also a part of that project, of course. I think it only should exist now if you put... It's time that they got to put something at stake. Like, the first couple of years, it was, who needs a push? Who, which Cesaro or Baron Corbin are we trying to tell the audience that, that we're ready for? It, I think you need something more now because it's become a, a den of of mid-carters and jobbers just sort of thrown together and a couple NXT guys who may have next but never seem to really do. I don't really like that. So I think this year, use it as – look, still have an old guy or a prize celebrity or whatever you want to do there. But 
let's try for next year to have a uh, have some kind of stipulation. It doesn't have to be as big as as a as a title opportunity. Just give you something, something that that matters. So this year, who do I want to win? I think we're going to see Big Cash back, and I think he's going to win it because a lot of the other guys that are in this category have already won it. Baron Corbin's still lingering and in this match. Mojo Rawley. I mean, all these guys. Dolph Ziggler is a wild card, weird one for me, Adam, because they didn't do anything with that push and that idea of him giving up the belt and the idea of him maybe leaving WWE but only re-signs. So could he win this? I think it's a possibility, right? But I think this is really going to be a, a my wild card pick of Big Cass. I think they're going to shine him up, give him a new gimmick, and seven-footers like him who you can't teach things to, they win Battle Royals. That's what they do. So <laughs> that's my pick. I don't know what to do with this. Like, Baron Corbin's going to be in it again, right? Maybe you give him a two-time, first two-time winner, and you try to push him again. What does that mean? That, well, it means nothing, it though. It means nothing. It means nothing. Matt Hardy's in it. He's obviously on a little bit of a roll. You could have Bray Wyatt on Matt Hardy's side show up. You could have Samoa Joe make his return and shock everyone. I think that would be horrible, having him in the WrestleMania kickoff show in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, even if he wins it. I don't have a prediction on who's going to win, at least not now. We will have one in our WrestleMania prediction story that's going to come out. But you're 100% right. There has to be something on the line. The problem is I don't know what it would be. You're not going to make it a money in the bank contract because that's ridiculous. And the people fighting in it aren't a big enough stature to deserve that. You're not going to put it an intercontinental or mid-card title because, A, how would you explain it? And, B, it has nothing to do with Andre the Giant, right? I don't think he ever had those belts, right? I, I, I may be speaking no, this school. No, he didn't. Um, so, so really, what are you going to do? It just – you, you know a favor, you a favor to be named later from Vince McMahon. Like, what is it? You may have to do, to be honest, like Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They start with their version of the Royal Rumble, and it's it's crap, right? It's like old guys mixed in with new guys, and nobody really cares about it. I almost really feel like you have to go back to WrestleMania X Seven and do the if it was X Seven, if I'm thinking right, and do the gimmick battle royal. Like, I think it needs to be a fun in games, hardy har har. Grab a couple Hall of Famers that are going in and put them in it. You know, bring back the Iron Sheet. Like, just do like make it like that. Because what is it now? It's a mid-card jobber royal. And it has I, no point. So I just don't. I just don't understand why it's going to be on the kickoff show every year because it's not important enough to be on the main show. And I don't know why WWE feels like they have to fit every person on their roster onto the WrestleMania card. It shouldn't be that way. WrestleMania should be exclusive. You don't fit everyone on SummerSlam. You don't fit everyone on Survivor Series, right? You don't do it at the. Roy I mean, all right, Royal Rumble. You get close, but you still don't do it at the Royal Rumble. So. Why is it that you have to have 90 performers on a five, on a, sorry, a seven hour card, five hour card. Wait, what is it? Seven hour card, a seven hour card with 90 performers. I don't need it. I'd much rather have BC another match, a All regular right, well, match. Speaking of other matches, we got a women's battle royal this year. Don't call it Moolah, Adam, but you can call it. Uh, to-be-determined number to decide. Uh, I don't know what it's going to decide, but we know Sasha's in it. We know Bailey's in it. I think that's all we care about so far. What are your expectations for this? Uh, none. Zero. Less than zero. Zero point zero. It's, this is the worst match on the card for me, and it has nothing to do with it being women's wrestlers. Zero. They really should have just had a Bailey-Sasha Banks singles match or two more women's singles matches in the time it's going to take to do a battle royal. It's completely worthless. They screwed up with Mula. They screwed up again with the trophy. Are you kidding me with the trophy that, let's be honest, folks, it looks like a vagina, okay? And, then, <laughs> and, then, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not breaking any news there. Everyone knows it, but I'm just saying it, all right? And then Chris Jericho just recently said, I think it was on his podcast or during some interview, he texted Vince McMahon and he suggested that they should rename the Women's Battle Royal the Sensational Invitational and name it after Shari Martell. 
great. You know what Vince said? Vince, you know what Chris Jericho said Vince's response was? Thanks. I mean, if that just tells you Vince McMahon's level of caring about this battle royal, it shouldn't be on the card at all. You think Guys, he knows? I haven't, Does I, he know I haven't really been negative all. I haven't really been negative all show. I'm negative about this. Wow! 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 Uh, I almost want to like pick somebody good like Sasha and say, okay, she'll win it, right? Because they want the first person to matter. Kind of like Big Show won the first Andre the Giant battle royal because he's the closest person to look like Andre the Giant. Like it's sort of in that lineage. I don't really have an answer on who could win or should win. I mean, does it matter? No. They've made us not no, care about it. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think he'll get a face winning, right? Like Naomi or something like that, because I think Sasha and Bailey eliminate each other, get upset about it, continue their feud. Let's see it's, who's it's, in it right now. We we do have a list on. Uh... It's every no no. It's every woman not on the rest of the card. All right. I mean, look, you know, Absolution's in it. Certainly, they could get it. You know, Carmella's for some reason in it. I mean, uh, no, there's nobody. I don't. I don't have a pick. I don't want to play this anymore. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, and I think the final match of the kickoff show, BC, is for that vacant Cruiserweight Championship, Cedric Alexander, Mustafa Ali. You know, when Enzo left and the title was vacated and they announced the tournament, I'm assuming we both thought, okay, cool, like, that's fine, right? They'll do, it. They'll do a fine job. Well, I'm amped for this match, and this is the reason, really, to watch the kickoff show. And you can make an argument. There's no main card match that I would have moved to the kickoff show. But you can make an argument this should be on the main card of WrestleMania. Certainly, and it's going to be fantastic. And look, I've I've said it forever, even back to Neville's great title run. Great. Neville, Neville represented the Cruiserweight division well. I thought Cedric Alexander was going to ultimately be his best feud, the only guy that should end up winning it. But I have to say, Mustafa Ali, the way they presented him, has been so good. And I know they need to get him out of that Power Rangers costume, put him in something a little more gritty. But every week, it seems like, or every four days, it seems like there's another YouTube-only or .com-only video of of Mustafa Ali really bearing his soul and showing you who he is to the point, Adam, where I feel like he's going to go over because they are really preparing him. I don't know if they want him to go over so they can, you know, I mean, like sort of like, you know, gender filled a certain nationality for them that they can use and they can push. Maybe Mustafa Ali brings them that same opportunity. But I think even if, if that was the case, he would be believable as a champion because they gave you a character to care about. And certainly he can do the fireworks in the ring. So this match is going to be great. I'm picking Ali. He's actually everything Jinder's not. Like, just being honest. Like, Jinder has the body, cool, and he has nothing else. And Ali has everything else. It's just ridiculous. But despite all of that, I, like, yes, it's probably going to be Ali. So I know I'm going to get this prediction wrong just based on the way they are pushing all of this, right? But, man, you know what I'm about to say. In the dark, I feel at home. <laughs> If only, if only I had that. If only I had a soundboard that didn't have as many buttons, and I had that. I had that ready for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, we got to move on. We got to. Oh, on. you don't even have it at all. I was waiting for you. Oh no, surprise. I have it at all. It's just this is the bad podcasting when when you know I just go through the buttons and forget exactly where it is. So, it's fine. Uh, well, in the dark, I feel at home, and I think Cedric Alexander ultimately wins it. He was the favorite at the very beginning. Yes, that could have changed. It's it's possible, but I don't know. Hit my music. You got it now, BC. Oh, yeah, that's so good. God, that is so, so good. All right, main card time. I'm going to start us off with a big match. It's the match that I think we both agree probably should start the WrestleMania main card. Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon, Shane McMahon with diverticulitis, by the way, against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in a tag team match. And obviously, if Owens and Zayn win, they get rehired to SmackDown. Don't forget Shane McMahon's hernia surgery, reportedly, as oh, well. Oh, sure. Uh, look, they made up. Brian and Shane McMahon, you, they unified this week on SmackDown. I thought it was a very, very regrettable mailed-in 
another vanilla go home episode, another vanilla SmackDown episode. But I did like when KO and Sammy came out of the crowd because they were just annoying and ridiculous. And it was great. And I think that, te- that, that, that touched a part of me that gets me to care about this match. But what we really care about this match for is to see Daniel Bryan coming back. And that's why we should, by the way, because there's going to be a lot of curiosity to see how hard is he going to go? Does he still have it? How will his style change to avoid the type of concussion issues moving forward? All that's worthy on its own to really be the whole match. But obviously they have built uh, enough of a reason to get you to care. Here's how I really hope and think it'll end. Owens and Zayn have to win to keep their jobs. And I think Daniel Bryan, who's becoming a pretty darn good actor on the mic, has given you enough teases that he's still heel sympathetic to these two guys who he went up and down the road with the Ring of Honor and the indie scene back in the day. He's going to help them keep their jobs in the end. And it's going to build that final break between him and Brian, I mean him and McMahon. I don't know if that means Shay on a heel turn on Sunday because they love to stretch this crap out and really, you know, do it. But I think we're going to end up seeing a Daniel Bryan Shay McMahon match, maybe at SummerSlam, and this is going to get what's going to be the turn to get us there. And I think it's going to be a great. I don't, I don't know if it'll be a great match in terms of you know the in-ring wrestling, but it's going to be a great match to kick off the show and get us really excited and have Daniel Bryan do yes, yes, yes in front of the whole crowd a hundred times. So that's a really, really interesting um, angle on it that I honestly had not really considered. Daniel Bryan being the one, not necessarily to turn heel, but to still somehow help Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I had not thought of it that way. Um, So this is tough because it's difficult for me to believe. Again, tell me six months ago, Daniel Bryan's wrestling at WrestleMania and possibly not going to win the match, right? It's just mind-boggling. But I think it's a legitimate possibility and you may not get the yes, yes, yes moment because if Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn win, there's nothing really to celebrate to that level. That's true. Um, So that is interesting to me. However, if it is the first match, I think Daniel Bryan wins because you want the show to start off with a massive bang. They have it worked in where Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are not getting fired from WWE. They're just leaving SmackDown. And you can make an argument that they should be on Raw because the amount of time that they took up on our SmackDown TV watching over the last nine months, I'm sick of them on that show. They need new rivalries. They Even if they stay as a tag team or, or partners, whatever you want to call them, they need something else to do. And really the only place that they that can happen is Raw. And that would also mean people coming back to SmackDown from Raw, which we be- desperately need as well, singles wrestlers. So that's how I'm going to kind of stick with it. All right, Adam. Next match, Cesaro and Sheamus will defend their Raw tag team titles, The Bar against Braun Strowman and TBD. So I want to hear right now, who does the Silver King think will be that partner? So I've gone through all the machinations, right? We've talked about Big Show. We've talked about Samoa Joe, so on and so forth. What makes the most sense to me, honestly, is Neville. Because it just, I think I mentioned this last week, it checks every single box, right? Neville wants to come back in a major role. He can be a tag team champion. He wants to, he got upset, you know, reportedly, that he was on the WrestleMania kickoff show last year and therefore didn't get on like the DVD, didn't get a cut off the royalty, so on and so forth. It gets him on WrestleMania. Um, and pairing him with Braun, and their characters are kind of similar, yet different, obviously, in, in many ways. But just the fact that he could potentially do the red arrow off of Braun's shoulders, <laughs> literally every single thing that is that you want in a surprise partner Neville delivers, and I think it would be an amazing success if that's what they did. I think it's going to end up being Rey Mysterio. I think that that'll be it. They want it. They want. So you think all this has been a ruse? You think he's been lying? 
I think he's been talking to WWE. I think his injury probably delayed. You know, I don't know if I believe the initial SI report that he was being talked to to face Cena. Uh, but I think that, you know, his actual real-life injury sort of delayed things. I think he can come in, take the pin, do a couple of his signature moves, not aggravate too badly his arm that's injured, and really move this forward. Because I don't think Braun's going to end up winning the belt. The belts. Because, look, he's got main event, you know, more higher title things to do. They just didn't have anything for him right now. But obviously he's going to spin off into something big. So I like the heels to win. And if I have to put a finger on somebody, I'll probably go Mysterio. See, I think it's a great opportunity for Braun to win the belt. And you know what I really popped for, what I really wanted, was a two-on-one handicap match for the tag team titles with Braun taking both belts and it not looking awkward because he's so big that <laughs> he could easily do that, right? Wear one around his waist, one around his neck, on his shoulder, whatever. Um, I do think Braun and whoever the mystery opponent is win as long as the mystery opponent is good. If it ends up actually being like Kurt Hawkins or you know Bray someone Wyatt. to that effect. I mean, Bray then, Wyatt, like we said. Well, yeah, but then you have someone who can take the fall, right? So then they don't win. But if it's anyone of any substance, I think Braun wins the titles. I think he needs a title just to really matter because they're running out of things for him to do. He needs to be able to vanquish a bunch of foes. And if he does have the title and they do introduce Authors of Pain, his partner, whoever it is, losing to Authors of Pain, that's not that big of a deal, right? That's that, true. That's, believ- and, and the Ray, that's believable. And if, and if it ends up being Ray, Vince does always love the you know the small big tag mixes, so that, that could be the case. We'll see. For sure. Either way, I'm excited about this match, and I really wasn't before because it didn't look like there was a good scenario for Sheamus and Cesaro, and there was talk that it was going to get left off the show completely, so I'm glad they're there. Uh, let's move on to that SmackDown Tag Team Championship BC, the Usos, defending their tag team titles in a triple threat match against the New Day and the Bludgeon Brothers. You know what I wanted. I wanted the Usos and New Day, you know, two-on-two, culmination of the feud, maybe uh, the the match of the weekend, potentially, right? Instead, we're getting the Bludgeon Brothers in. I'm okay with that because Harper and Rowan are great workers, BC. But SmackDown Tuesday night, that segment, that's one of the worst things I've ever seen on WWE TV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was so forgettable that I can't even really remember what it was. I think I may have fast forwarded through it. I mean, seriously, it was so just... the new. All right, so the new days on screen promoting WWE Network for oh, yes. watch WrestleMania. Then the Usos come in and break their entire character, like promoting the network. And then the Bludgeon Brothers show up and they run away. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, that's bad. Look, this match, it certainly could surprise us and be awesome. The clientele there is to do that. I don't know if I needed the Bludgeons in this. I wanted the same sort of scenario that you did. But since they're in it, I can't get over the fact that they're going to win. They're going to they're be the champions moving forward. And maybe it is to set up a feud with Authors of Pain and have somebody you can rely on as workers to sort of help get Authors of Pain over to that next level and eventually give them the belts. That could be it if AOP makes their debut on SmackDown. But I think the, bro- the brothers are one thing. They've been booked... Like, so destructively. Every time the brothers are in the same room with the Usos of the New Day, it's the Usos of the New Day that end up getting stopped. So I feel like this is their time. Vince seems to like them. He's, he's happy with them. It's a lot better than where we were a year ago where Luke Harper was coming off those really good singles matches with Orton or Bray Wyatt and then had no nowhere to land at Mania. So, look, give them the belts. Let's see what happens because we are. what else can you do with the Usos and the New Day at the moment? Nothing. You know I crapped on the Bludgeon Brothers gimmick at the beginning, and honestly, my opinion has not changed. Like, it's just so corny, the rubber mallet slamming a camera, making it like they broke it. Like, give me a break. I think this is an opportunity for the Usos to become, like, next level. They're they're almost there. I think you make them next level here. You refresh the tag team picture on SmackDown. Um, You have them lose the belts in a couple months or something like that. But, you know, retentions, title retentions at WrestleMania are sometimes few and far between, I hope. 
that this is one of them, BC. All right, let me tell you this now. I don't think that you care about this match at all. I don't care about this match at all. So give me a reason to care now about this fatal four-way United States Championship, Randy Orton defending against Bobby Roode, Jinder Mahal, and Rusev. Because even with Rusev, you, you, can't, you can't get me there. I'm sorry, you can't. Um, Rusev helps. Uh, I think, like I said with Neville, right? The crowd wants big moments at WrestleMania. You saw it with the Hardy Boys coming out winning the titles. They want Rusev to win a title. And Orton has no problem putting people over. Uh, Bobby Roode is, you know, the crowd reacts to Bobby Roode. Like, give it to them. I, I He doesn't really hit any field spots for me, but the crowd likes him. Maybe it's just the entrance. Maybe it's the whole package, whatever. Jinder Mahal, we know, is a flop. Um, I, I thought it was very surprising that Tuesday night on SmackDown, Rusev pinned Jinder Mahal clean, pinned a former WWE champion clean, right, before this match. And I think Rusev wins the title. I, I think he's in this match to win. He can pin Bobby Roode. He can pin Mahal. Orton gets upset. They have an Orton-Rusev feud, um, which I think they just recently did, but whatever. Um, you need big moments at WrestleMania, and Rusev winning on Rusev Day I don't think it gets better than that. Yeah, look, they're clearly showing you that they're writing the hot hand. They only put him in here, reportedly, if you read the Meltzer rags, because his T-shirt sales have been so good, and that surprised WWE. His inclusion gives you a winner to care about, because they already wasted the Randy Orton win to become a Grand Slam champion at the Fastlane pay-per-view. So, yeah, let Rusev have that moment. Let's do it. Let's move on. All right, first women's championship match of the card. We have Alexa Bliss defending that Raw title against Nia Jax in what's basically a body-shaming uh, mean Girls type of angle. And by the way, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. We talked at the top of the show with Nick. What angles do we actually care about? We hadn't really had a lot in terms of that care, right? The juice that get you there. This got me there. I want to see what happens. I, I'm, I'm content to know and believe that Jax is going to win because she's been really organically built up into a baby face through this. I mean, she really has. So Bliss has no reason to win because she's so been so mean this whole way. But here's the thing, Adam. When Carmella's in play and they've been teasing the crud out of the fact that she's in play to, to remind you I just assumed because of the Smackdown connection that it would be in the Charlotte match but then again Asuka's not even on Smackdown so what am I talking about I haven't even considered until right now that maybe it would be this match because this match matters from a storyline perspective but isn't as prestigious of course as Charlotte Flair and Asuka in terms of you actually want to know who's going to win that because if you're you know as, as a wrestling fan you you put on the kayfabe goggles you actually care who's better between those two right with with Bliss and Jax it's more of a revenge thing so I wonder if Carmella does come in here and, ma and make make some noise and begin a, a but I don't think she's going to I don't know there's this has been handled so badly that I don't think she actually cashes in in the end. I think she's destined to fail. And I only say handled badly because the storyline was James Ellsworth, and he's not there. So unless they're going to surprise me again by having Ellsworth there, surprise, and he's going to run in, and he's going to stop Carmella from winning it as to get her back, then maybe this is the match where she attempts it, and then Jax absolutely squashes her, wins the title, and, and that's fine. That would be fine, because Nia Jax, it's working at him. you got to give her credit. Everything about Nia Jax is working right now. I am I, She's not like most girls, and I'm, I'm going to wear the T-shirt this weekend. I'm going to wear the I'm not like <laughs> most, the male version of that shirt this weekend, just to flaunt. There's been times where I laughed at her character and how raw she still was. She's there, dude. She's got it. She's going to win, and maybe even she's going to stuff Carmella in the process. I think it's possible. And I almost kind of feel a little bit like you might have read my WrestleMania prediction from our CBS story where I actually have Carmella cashing in oh, during this match. 
So if not, then we're just on the same wavelength, and that's really good uh, juju, you know, heading into this weekend. Um, I do think that's possible. Um, what I would be interested in seeing is Carmella cashing in, basically pulling what Rollins did, right? Did Rollins pin Lesnar or Reigns? I don't Reigns. remember. He did. Okay. So pulling a Rollins and pinning the non-champion to win the title and doing something like that. So where Nia pins Carmella, and Carmella wastes her opportunity. But if that doesn't happen... I, like, it's one of two things. I don't think she's going to cash in in the Oscar flair match, although she could do the exact same thing, and the exact same thing could happen. For me, they have been teasing it way too much for it to happen. I can see her music hitting and her just helping distract someone and causing some heat, maybe at a maximum. But you don't keep her off TV for three months and then bring her back and tease it every single week to then have it happen. It's almost too much of a tease. So... Because of that, I have Nia Jax winning. I think, I don't think they've they've done a good job with the storyline. I don't think they've built Nia up big enough as a face because it's only like, oh, she's getting bullied, so you should feel sorry for her. You should also have her be a good guy for other reasons. That hasn't really happened. So, I still think Nia does win though. Alexa Bliss, she's great, right? But she's basically held a women's title her entire WWE main roster career. She doesn't need it. The Miz doesn't need a title. They can operate on their own based on their mic skills and in, and good enough in-ring ability. So that's just kind of how I have it all. Well, you mentioned The Miz. That's the proper transition to this triple threat for the WWE Intercontinental Championship, The Miz, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say about this, but this this like, this like is in play as well to steal the show. I mean, this is going to be great. This is a sneaky match, and I think I mentioned last week, There's it's very unique in that there are massive fans of all three. So you're going to get incredible crowd reactions throughout the entire match. I think we, like I said, I think we did discuss it at some length last week, so I'm not going to go on too long about it. I do expect it to be an incredible match. I do expect Finn Balor to be the new intercontinental champion. I'm right there on the prediction. Look, they have not booked him. Well, we all know that from his greatest moment on top, defeating Seth Rollins at the 2016 SummerSlam and getting injured. He never got back to that point again. This would be the chance to give him that moment. Maybe. I mean, look, Maybe that's what they told him when Kane went over him two weeks in a row, right? Maybe they said, well, don't worry. At Mania, you're going to win the IC belt. But the reason why this makes sense in the storyline, in terms of if you're a fan of The Miz like we are, for two reasons. One, maybe this just frees up The Miz to finally get a world title run, which he fully deserves. And I got about three or four DMs, I don't have the time to read now, from our listeners saying, did you hear Miz on commentary this past week? He was so great. He needs the big title. He needs the big title right now. And all you guys are right, and I did hear that. But even if they're going to go back to Miz with the IC belt, it would make sense. He's trying to break the record for the most days held, which is Pedro Morales' record. He doesn't actually need to keep the belt you know, in a, in a row to get that. And don't forget, the only person with more IC title reigns than him is Chris Jericho. He has one more. So why not allow Miz to win this back at the next pay-per-view and tie that? Finn Balor, it's his time. Let's do it. Yeah, for sure. I think um, Miz spending one or two months playing Chase to win the title back from Finn and then being elevated into one of, spoiler alert, who I think is going to win the main event, Royman Reigns, uh, first major challengers. I think that's the way to go with the Miz character. So it has to either be Rollins or Balor. And I think, what, Rollins just beat Balor with the stomp on Monday night? Okay, so that means Balor's going to win. Like To me, that's Vince McMahon, pure, typical booking. Okay, SmackDown Women's Championship. Charlotte Flair defending against Royal Rumble winner Asuka, who has the longest undefeated streak in WWE history, right? Is it? I mean, besides I mean, Andre we, the Giants, fifteen years, which wasn't even accurate yeah, anyway. But that. you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, it's been impressive. They stuck to it. Wow. They got us here with that's that. It. Talk to me. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why it. this match matters because Flair is their most prestigious champion. And I wish, by the way, that they would have kept Charlotte Flair's pay-per-view on Beaten Streak alive. And there's no reason why they of should course. have broke that. No reason. But of the two things we said off the top are right on the show. The build for this feud has not been good. And two, I don't like that they gave away a little bit of a Mixed Match Challenge. But not everybody's watching Mixed Match Challenge, so I'll get over that. This match has potential to be really good. These two workers are incredible. I think Charlotte's going to really be the ring general here. But I think both are going to have perfect chemistry. And the one spot from the Mismatch Challenge match that I did like was when they locked up the first time. And it was intense. And that lockout, that lockup went around the ring in a circle and actually rolled under the bottom rope. And they kept locking up and stayed, never let go of each other. I want that type of intensity in this match. It all comes down to what's more important for WWE right now. Continuing to push Asuka unbeaten or letting Flair, who's been... Kind of, you know, used in the welcoming committee, not always used the right way lately, whether it's time to let her have another big run. It all comes down to whether they think there's somebody more valuable than Charlotte to actually break Asuka's unbeaten streak. The only person in the company who fits that bill, of course, is Ronda Rousey. So you'll find out if that's the plan by the result right here. Ultimately, I think that could easily be. But knowing WWE... They don't always think things through. I just as easily could see this is a shining moment for Charlotte, who's currently a babyface. We know she's better as a heel. Probably going to end up becoming a heel more, you know, sooner than later. It really could go either way. I would prefer Asuka would keep the belt, build to Rousey, let it be a submission match because they both have those skills. But if it goes this way, I'm not going to be unhappy. As far as the women's matches on the card, this is going to be the best. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, forget the women's matches. I think this is going to be one of the best three matches on the card because it needs to be right because wwe chose not to do banks bailey they chose not to do flair banks or any combination that you would want right by giving oscar uh the royal rumble and she's the winner of the first royal rumble let's not forget that so she has the streak she has that going for her she was a sole survivor at survivor series it really would not make much sense for oscar to fail to win the title in this scenario like I think it needs to happen now. Whether that streak ends at the hands of Ronda Rousey at SummerSlam or at the hands of Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania, that's for Vince McMahon to decide. But I think that's the way we're going. And if you thought the build to Reigns-Lesnar um, was something that maybe got lost, well, the build to this match got lost because they had an opportunity to promote this as they've been trying to promote the women's evolution as Titan versus Titan, right? Women's Titan versus undefeated streak, like baddest girl on the planet. That's actually not called the baddest girl on the planet because obviously that's Ronda Rousey. Um, But they had an opportunity here that I think they lost in the build. This match should be way bigger than it actually is. Yeah, yeah, that that's the best way to sum it up. I, I think, though, that knowing these two players, though, they're, they're going to bring it. They're going to give you a great match. All right, this mixed tag team match, which... Very well could be the poster for this for this show. This is this is what's going to bring a lot of eyes in the door. Kurt Angle, Ronda Rousey versus The Authority, Triple H, and Stephanie McMahon. Adam, we've talked all along that WWE's led with Ronda's mic skills, which is her worst set. But you and I have both sort of said, let's wait till we actually see her wrestle. What's it going to look like when she actually wrestles? It's going to look really good when she wrestles Triple H. Like, that's going to be awesome. When she taps him out and it maybe doesn't count because it has to be Gender. Oh, wait, hold on. Time out. Time out. You're telling me you think Triple H is going to play ball to that level that he's going to tap out. He wouldn't let Sting beat him like you th- like you think. Well, well no, no, no. It won't count. 
because you have to tap out. You have to uh, get the fall with your own gender, so it ah, wouldn't that's count. That's a good point. So, that's a good point. Yeah, so he, he'll do that. I, I don't. I think he'll be happy doing that. But when when she hurts him, or when she taps him out, or does the um, which you would hope she doesn't do, but like the crotch, you know, the hit to the crotch, like that's going to be cool when you see them together in the ring. What's not probably going to be great is Ronda Rousey, who's never wrestled a real match on TV before, against Stephanie McMahon, who's not a wrestler and has the least wrestling experience of her entire family. I mean, just obviously based on how much Shane wrestles and as much stuff as Vince has done in the past. That's not going to be great. When did Um, we last see Steph? Was it 2014 SummerSlam with Brie? Maybe. I, I don't even know. I think that was it. Uh, yeah, that I like the build because there was a lot of slapping and calling each other bad names. But yeah, the match not 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 so great. Like, what's gonna happen? Like, what is Steph actually gonna do? She'll if the if the ref's back is turned, she'll be able to cheat. Okay, cool. Like, she'll get some shots in and hurt Rousey. But Rousey then needs to sell that Stephanie McMahon is hurting her. I don't buy that, right? And then she has to sell potentially getting pinned. I don't buy that either. So, my hope is that it's just a domination by Ronda Rousey, and it sets the tone where McMahon just gets angrier and angrier that that this woman's in the company and she doesn't know what she can do to stop her, and Rousey just comes off as dominant because if they build her or book her as anything but dominant in this match, I think it'd be a travesty to her long-term development. Is there any way we will see another woman in this match? Because Steph and Trips are the authority. They're in control. They're trying to screw everyone at every turn. I'm not saying that... Five minutes before the match, Steph is going to announce that she's stepping aside and, you know, insert name of veteran women's wrestler is going to step in. But will there be some sort of women's henchmen on the outside? Will Absolution show up and the authority go, hey, we just wanted some extra security. And then that's where we see Ronda get to work uh, on some people who can actually work. I think that could happen. But could you imagine the booze of this match not having a finish? Like well, I'm not finish. saying a DQ. I guess. I guess I'm saying referee knocked out or distracted. Ronda's outside. She, you know, what? I don't. I don't know the exact scenario. But so, look, we all think Ronda's going to win and she's going to get the the baby, the you know, the baby face love. But what about that thing we teased earlier? Like, could they go this route? Could they go the route of her as the protected heel? Because in reality, it would be smarter if she became the authority's protected baby, because people secretly want to boo her anyway. They want to boo Rousey. Um, they want to boo Rousey because they know she's better as a badass, and because maybe there's a small percentage of people that don't think she should be there. I don't know. I mean, I do think that there's a chance Triple H and Stephanie win, but it would have to be a Triple H pinning Kurt. It has to be that way, um, or like Triple H hitting Rousey, which I don't think they would ever do a guy hitting a girl angle, you know, in 2018, but accidentally hitting her, or whatever. Steph. Then Steph tags in, jumps in, gets the pinfall. That could happen. And it would work in making Ronda a bigger baby face, potentially. But I just don't see how you have Ronda Rousey lose her first match. I guess uh, the only way I see it is if they have her, you know, join them and turn heel. Like, she turns heel on Kurt, and then the match finish doesn't even matter because she's now— Sorry to interrupt. Let me put it this way. I don't think Stephanie brings up Ronda Rousey's losses Monday night on Raw, which was a great line, and I'm glad that they were able to do that and that Ronda was okay with it. I don't think she says that if Rousey's going to lose at WrestleMania. Again, unless she joins forces with them. Because I think it could be very believable that she's the protected one who doesn't have the wrestling experience of these other girls. 
So she's the you know the the authority's protective one, and I don't know. I think that's too too bold for them. Certainly too bold on on night one for Ronda for them. So look, yes, Ronda's going to win. She's going to get the babyface cheers. So that that's the setup. I hope the match is old school creative, right? I hope like it's going to be gimmicky and campy at times, but I hope they really bring it, really bring it. I hope it wasn't just the build to get us here. I hope that this match is something fun that we look back on. Let's see, it's the right performers to try to do that. So right. there's a good chance that this next match may not be part of the double or triple main event, one of the last three matches on the card, which boggles my mind, but I made sure it's at least part of our double main event for WrestleMania 34. AJ Styles defending the WWE title. Remember, the WWE title against Shinsuke Nakamura. Do you think we see a title change here, or do you think this just continues the coronation of AJ Styles? It certainly could be both. And by the way, I hope this becomes the Savage Steamboat match. I hope they put it at the mid level, at the midpoint of the card, and it gets its own little mountaintop, everyone to focus on it, and it wins you over with the work, which it should. The finish is going to be interesting here. Could easily see Styles keep it because you want Styles as your WWE champion for many reasons, put him against so many people. But if you're going to take your best swing with Shinsuke Nakamura, who hasn't translated the same way on the main roster as, as he has in NXT, there's no other rub that's better, right, than to let him win the WWE Championship at WrestleMania over a beloved son like AJ Styles. And even though WWE knows what they have in AJ Styles, they don't necessarily like protect him. So I could easily see this happening. Give Shinsuke a tryout as champion. And when I say tryout, let these two guys feud because they always come back with the payback pay-per-view or whatever is after this where they re- retool the feuds anyway. A month later, if it's just not working, you put it right back on Styles business as usual. But you take that chance with Shinsuke that maybe with him with the belt, it'll resonate differently. The merch sales will go up. He'll just evolve and be who he needs to be. I'm probably leaning more to them giving him that chance to give him a chance to do it. See, I think the opportunity to put the title on Nakamura was against Jinder Mahal. He beats basically a, I'm sorry, Jinder, a nobody, right? Gets the title, has to defend it, and then AJ Styles wins the Royal Rumble, and that's your WrestleMania match. Like, that is how I would have had it play out. I don't think they're going to put the title on Nakamura. And honestly, I don't think they should. I would much rather them play the long-term storyline and actually commit to it of Styles evening the series 1-1 and getting the win and then it happening again, whether it's at SummerSlam and they do it immediately, next year's WrestleMania in a non-title match, whatever the case might be, of one and one maybe they get some of the footage from New Japan, they pay for it, and they just go all out like, this is the epic wrestling match that you've always wanted, the, the rubber match, you know, never going to happen again. I think that is the way to go to this, with this feud, and the only way to do that is for Styles to keep the championship. I will say, though, one of my concerns about Nakamura being champion was his ability to talk which not anything against him. It's just he doesn't have a perfect command of the English language, obviously. And I said it uh, on last week's show, and I mean it again, because after they did it again on Tuesday night on SmackDown, Nakamura was fine on the mic. Like, it worked for me. So they have found a method or a preparation or whatever the case is to make him work. But I still think as WWE champion, you need to talk and sell a lot more than that. And I'm not sure how comfortable they are doing that with Nakamura at this time. Touche, touche on that. That that's interesting. Uh, forgot to mention a quick bonus DM slide from our guy Brian Paulson at B Paul sixty eight. He said after seeing the ridiculous promos for Rousey Angle versus Triple H Steph McMahon, that's why I wanted to bring this in now. They're going with the ridiculous looking getup for Angle that he wore at Survivor Series. What's the deal with this? Why is he dressed like a Captain America stripper? What's with the gloves? Uh, I didn't want to go too far without bringing that up. 
Why are they making Kurt Angle look ridiculous? He's Kurt Angle. He won the gold medal with a broken freaking neck. Why is he looking like an old superhero? I mean, do we know for a fact that that's what he's going to wear again? All the promos and posters that they show on the air, whenever they show the four people standing in the background, it's him dressed like in that Halloween costume. Like, stop. Well, do you not think Triple H is going to come out with like a skull mask again and uh, green and black tights? I mean, he's they're going to wear what they wear, right? But he's not going to wear it in the ring. No, he's going to wear the, the tights, though. He's not going to wear a suit. Like, what else do you want Kurt Angle to wear? Uh, wrestling trunks. I don't need him in a Captain America outfit. I, I don't. I don't need that. That's just that's. But he, no. But aren't those wrestling trunks though? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I haven't. No. This seen is the like the full body, like like sleeveless. Like you got to look at. Oh really? Yeah. It, it's it's bad. It's bad. But all right. Uh, maybe I've missed it then. Yes. Angle. Kurt Angle should wear his old wrestling attire. Yeah. Right. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. All right. Let's get into this. You know, main event because we want to hear stuff like this. This is Brock Lesnar's. And we want to talk about the the biggest match, the only one that matters here. This is the main event. And it should be. And it should go on last. And you know it. It needs to. And it's going to be awesome. And it's Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal Championship. And we did hit a lot on this with Nick. And I thought we had some good debates going back and forth. Uh, Like, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be hard ways. It's going to be physicality. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, we'd love some perfect world scenario where Heyman's going to, you know, screw Brock and it's going to be him and Roman. But look, it's just not going to happen. Roman's going to win. So there's really not a lot of analysis here, Adam. The match is going to be great <laughs> and Roman's going to win. What else you want from me? Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's the way. I think discounting, completely discounting a Paul Heyman interference on Reigns' behalf is silly to discount it just because it's so good. And all Vince needs to do and Paul needs to do is realize that and just make the change, right? Rollins cashing in was a semi-last-minute change, and that can still happen. There's myriad ways they can go with this. They could also have re-signed Brock Lesnar and have him retain the title. Now, you would ask yourself, well, then what the hell was the point of the last 12 months? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And you'd have to move Reigns to SmackDown, and you'd have to turn him heel, which they don't want to do. Like, There's a million things you'd have to do to salvage that. For that reason, BC, yes. Roman Reigns is going to win the title at WrestleMania. I just, I guess what's more important than who's going to win is how do you see the match playing out in the ring? Do you think it's going to be just purely brutal in the ring? Do you think they're going to go outside and use the table, the announcer's table, and possibly have to restart the match as a a no disqualification match um, to have it be to that level of violence? What do you think is actually going to happen during that 30 minutes? or 20 minutes, um, that will be so potentially great. It's going to be destructive. It's going to feel like an MMA fight in the beginning, like WrestleMania 31 did. But I I hear what you're saying. Something's got to be different. Something's got to be memorable. Because if it's formulaic, like 32 was, Reigns, Triple H. And again, I think that that's a decent debate with Nick. I thought the match was actually pretty good. I thought the build was really good. It was good. It just, it was was customer fatigue. We may be in that same customer fatigue spot by this point. But they have an out in this case. If they book this more like a Lesnar-Goldberg WrestleMania 33 car wreck, heavyweight wrestling, right? Maybe that's the best way to do this. Maybe that's the best way to tell this story to make people happy. And that's be absurdly physically destructive. Maybe tables like you're saying, but just a a slugfest, a high-wire slugfest that Reigns survives. And 
what else, what else? What else can you do? That's probably the best way to do this because these shows are absurdly long and you're going to pop and you're going to have your highs and lows and your moments. But unless you have a great swerve to send us home, if we're going to be sent home with Roman standing on the turnbuckle, holding the belt, getting the equal measure of booze and cheers, let us feel like he earned those cheers then. So to do that, it's got to be a war. That's exactly right. I, I like what you said is perfect, but I don't want him to earn the title by kicking out of four F5s. I want it to be believable. Like it needs to be a situation where like Brock's beating him up and keeps trying to pin him and, and Roman is able to escape the F5 every time. And then Brock eventually does hit it. And you're like, oh my God, it's over. He's actually going to retain, right? Then he kicks out, gets a surge, hits a spear, hits another spear, pins him. Like it has to be something like that as opposed to, like I said, just kicking out of a finisher a bunch of times, spaced out over five minutes, and then he hulks up you know, or warriors up or whatever, and just spears so that's them. That's the key. Like, it can't be booked like a like a pro wrestling match. It can't be booked like a WWE WrestleMania exactly. match. It's got to be booked more like how do we script an MMA fight? But it, not really, right? Because in MMA fight, there's it's more grappling on the ground. So not really. But how do we script an actual fight that somebody rallies from really being hurt, right? Because that's what. So look, the 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 ebbs and flows in real MMA or boxing are come from a guy taking punishment but then staggering the other guy and swerving and oh my god he may actually win like that's how that's where the when they're going to get us with the feels it can't just be get us with the car wreck or get us the fact that Brock busted open Roman unintentionally somewhat intentionally you got to get us with that like hook our heart with that kind of swerve in the momentum and Brock also needs to sell the way he did to AJ Styles yes and not and not the way he did to Braun Strowman and Samojo which he did sell, and I shouldn't have said Samojo. He sold to Samojo also, but that match was like four minutes, right? He needs to legitimately sell, and like that he then because it helps him too. It says Brock like was totally beaten down by this guy, came back and seemed to have the upper hand, and then lost. So it just can't be a one sided like the Lesnar Cena match where like Lesnar dom even the, even the second one where Lesnar dominated him and then Cena came back and finally got one up on him. It has to be an even match. It has to be something that tells a story and is not simply big guy beats up big guy and they go back and forth because they didn't give us a good enough storyline in the four or five weeks leading into it. Because WrestleMania, you're supposed to be sent home happy with a singular emotion. And last year it was sadness for Undertaker for the people that bite down on that. The year before it was Roman finally made it, but a lot of people booed it. The year before it was, I can't believe Seth Rollins just spoiled the party, right? The year before it was Dan O'Brien going nuts. The year before it was Cena and Rock, whatever. You got to give us an emotion that's different from just, you know, just Roman holding up that belt. So we'll we'll see what happens there. I'm fired up for it. Also fired up, Adam, for our WrestleMania plans this weekend, which we touched on in different parts. Thursday night, you and I are going to hit that, uh, what is that, WrestleCon Super Show? WrestleCon, yeah, Super Show. Uh, Golden Lovers are in the main event. I think Osprey's on the card. Tomohiro Ishii's on the card. Oh, yeah. Um, I wish we could be I'm, at Paul Heyman Live, by the way. I wish we could be there. Well, but... well let's be honest. I, like you said, let's take people inside. We are skipping multiple opportunities including seeing elias play at a new orleans club and seeing paul Heyman live which we were invited to to go see kenny omega so me mr you know quote-unquote revolution i you know it's tough it's tough for me to give up those opportunities but i came to an agreement with bc where we said look we're not going to go to the ring of honor supercard of honor we're going to go to nxt takeover but let's make sure we see kenny omega and this is where we're going to see him. I'm going to expose myself, so excuse me while 
I knew it. I knew there was a revolution bone in your body, and you and you you had to take a stand. And you're gonna you're gonna see it. We're gonna see it happen Thursday. Can't wait for Friday. Of course, Hall of Fame. Gonna check that out. Gonna, gonna do some well, radio Hall, Hall of Fame red carpet, but we're also most likely gonna spend a portion of the day at WrestleMania access as well. Look at look this. When you look at the wrestling outside of WWE, every hour maybe every couple hours there's a card but then you look at what Wrestlemania has done with their own access in the tournaments what do we have there's like an NXT tournament there's like a UK tournament there's all these tournaments at Wrestlemania access this year in the evening so there's there's it's really incredible it's really ridiculous Saturday night NXT Sunday Mania we'll, I'm staying for Raw the Silver King staying for Raw this is going to be it's going to be this going to be the greatest weekend of all time let's be really honest i mean it's New Orleans come on it's going to be really great like I, like i said i'm i'm here and I've never been here before. It's already cool. I haven't done anything yet, but the hotel's awesome. Uh, Canal Street was really cool. Just like seeing the town and seeing how different it is from anywhere I've ever been before is awesome. And something else we're going to do, BC, let's not fail to mention, on Sunday before WrestleMania, for about an hour, we're going to be participating in Mania Crawl. It's an annual event. Obviously coincides with WrestleMania every year. Basically, hundreds of wrestling fans Bar hop, three different bars. You can go to maniacrawl.com to sign up, get the schedule. It's free. If you want to donate, the money goes to Connor's Cure and the Children's Hospital. Um, it's a great event. One of our friends happens to be running it. Uh, so we're going to be there at the very first stop. I think it's called Pat O'Brien's. I believe it's going to be at 11 a.m. Central, um, 12 Eastern. But we're going to be there for about an hour. Come say hello if you want. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and we're happy to support that effort. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see our listeners. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be there the whole weekend. Hope to hope to share a cold one with you guys as well. No question about it. Adam, let's put our hands in this field spot on the way out. This was a super show. No, no question about it. This podcast, we brought it. But let's touch on what touched us. And for me this week, I got a bunch of tweets, a bunch of DMs saying, BC, do not finish the show without talking about the 205 main live main event this week. Holy-ish, Adam Silverstein, Buddy Murphy versus Kalisto. I make Buddy Murphy my field spot basically every single week. He's starting to be field spot approved around the board because our good friend at Mick underscore Johnston from down under, Johnson, I'm sorry, says with a DM, thank you, Brian Campbell. You got me to check out Buddy Murphy on 205 Live. Wow, that man has it. And one more thing, Mick says, I expect him to see winning his first title in October in his hometown of Melbourne in front of 100,000 people. Can't wait to hear the ITC's coverage for Mania Weekend. Uh, hey, Adam Silverstein, uh, I don't know if Buddy's going to win the the, two, the Cruiserweight title in Australia. I know a lot of our listeners will be there if he does. But this main event, both guys sold out. And for nothing at stake, this is why you watch 205 Main Alive. 205, um, wow, how out of control. What is it called? Right now? 205 <laughs> Main Live. Uh, this is why you watch, because this match was awesome. Put the belt on this guy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm still against him having the belt, as I've said. But um, I think he's legit. And you know what? Like you said, NXT needs some dudes, right, you, that, to continue, to not send people up to the main roster right away. They keep calling him NXT's Buddy Murphy. Makes me wonder if he may be back in there competing, whether for the North American or the NXT Championship, if he impresses some people and and be part of that mix. That would be pretty cool. Well, the crowd was uh, chanting two. I think they were chanting two one five the whole match, which is like, hey, you're not two o five, you're you're two fifteen. That's pretty funny. I like that. Um, my feel spot. It's a very short and simple one. On Raw, I audibly laughed out loud <laughs> when Braun Strowman took Kurt Hawkins and just threw him through that wall. Um, 
it was hysterical. I liked Kurt Hawkins like begging for a spot on the team. Yeah, the shirt. I mean, they, the shirt was great. Um, if they did have Kurt Hawkins be the teammate, then you definitely know the bar is winning. I would hope because he's the easy person to take the fall, right? I still don't think that's going to happen. But like Braun being destructive is great, but Braun doing smaller, destructive, threatening things is better. When he took like the cake off that guy's plate, you know, throwing uh, Kurt Hawkins through the wall. It's those little things that really make the character awesome. Uh, and that was definitely a, an immediate feel spot for me Monday night. Oh, I popped massive for that. So did our guy Dave Ehrenberg at Ehrenberg, who slid in a DMs a couple weeks ago to say, hey, guys, the mystery partner, it's going to be Kurt Hawkins. It's going to break the losing streak. So he popped big. He wanted credit for that one. He deserves it. That, I, oh, my God, that was hilarious. Dude, he he destroyed that wall. And that, look, it's, it's over-the-top cheesy fun, but that's what we want. That's feel spot approved. Adam, what else we got coming this week from the ITC from Mania? We have uh, potentially a lot. So we will be interviewing some WWE superstars on Friday, and we are hoping to tape a special edition of the podcast for you that will hopefully air Friday, if not super, super early on Saturday. And then, of course, BC and I both in New Orleans. WrestleMania 34, somewhat instant analysis. We need to make our way back to the hotel from the Superdome. But once we do, first thing we are doing is taping that instant analysis podcast. Look for it, 1, 2 a.m., something like that. But we will be with you on your drive to work Monday discussing all things WrestleMania 34. Yeah, very, very excited to get you guys some really fun interviews in person, whether it's Radio Row or Red Carpet of the uh, uh, of the Hall of Fame, whatever we have to do. We're going to we're going to bring it to you. So look out for that. Hey, th- thanks for being a part of the ITC family here. Like I said, we're closing in on them one year. This is, a, this is a big one for us, this 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 Mania weekend in New Orleans. We're going to have a great time. Hope you guys do the same. Follow us on Twitter at In This Corner CBS. Adam Silverstein. We always end with this, with this, the best song, you know, that we've got going. Cause I'm a redneck. My name is Jimmy Wang Yang. I'm your boy. Yeah. That was not the song, but by the way, Jimmy Wang Yang, that's gotta be the most ridiculous character of all time. An Asian redneck wrestler. I mean, come on, come on, Vince McMahon. But really, I wanted to play this. Goodbye. Good night. We out. <laughs>